You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 545. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 2B at the Westin in Jackson, Mississippi. Today's show is recorded on the 15th of November, 2022. Yeah, he's up in Two World War II planes collide in front of horrified spectators at a Dallas air show. Oh, my God. A stray bullet strikes a flight landing in Beirut. More news and your feedback. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 545 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He is an award-winning TV and radio reporter, currently at the number one all-news station in the nation, 1010 Winds, on 93 FM in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guys show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia. Jingles doesn't care. And from his studio... In the Valley of the Sun, world traveler, airplane mechanic, doggy rescue volunteer, fitness hound, and international air freight captain, it's Miami Rick. Hey, everybody. Happy to be back. We got a good show. Lots to talk about, so we better get to it. Yeah, you're right. And also joining us from his studio, in Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways, it's Captain Nick. Well, hi there, everybody. What a fantastic collection of minds as sharp as steel tonight. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, wow. I don't know what he's looking at. Okay. And he's obviously been drinking that... From his home studio in the air capital, low and slow pilot, old airplane enthusiast, and engineer in the aerospace and defense industry, it's Nick Macho Camacho. Hey guys, glad to be back with you again, looking forward to it. All right, and also, we have uh, sitting next to me, live in the studio at the Westin Hotel in, where are we? We're in Jackson, Jackson Mississippi. Mississippi. This is a uh, former Air Force pilot and uh, ACME pilot for about 23 years. And uh, he's also Brent, my favorite co-pilot. Hello, everyone. Glad to be here with y'all. Nice to meet uh, Liz and Captain Nick and Rick and see Nick Macho again. All right. And hey, yeah. good to see you. Last, but certainly not least, from a place to stand and a place to grow, Toronto, Canada, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer. It's Liz Piper. Hi, everybody. Today it's a place with snow. Oh, it's Ooh. a place for snow. Ooh, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You do live in Canada. I'm surprised it ever yeah. isn't. 
with snow. Yeah, it's a place for north. de-icing operations. So I like it's that. It's always nice <laughs> for the first three months or so, but March it gets a little old. Yeah. Oh, fair enough. Have a good All one, right. you guys. Thanks, Liz. Yeah, Liz. Yep. yep. All right. Let's uh, let's hit the news. Stand by for news. All right. In Dallas, Texas, a tragedy. Two World War II era airplanes collided and crashed while performing a flyover at a commemorative event in Texas on Saturday. The Federal Aviation Administration said in a statement, six people were on board the two planes at the time of the crash, the commemorative Air Force said. A Boeing B-17 Flying Fortress and a Bell P-63 King Cobra were participating in the Air Force's Wings Over Dallas air show when they collided midair near the Dallas Executive Airport just before 1.30 p.m. local time. According to the event's website, several planes were scheduled to do a flyover demonstration Saturday afternoon. Social media posts showed hundreds of people gathered to watch the flyover. The three-day event is in honor of Veterans Day, which was Friday. Here's a quote from uh, somebody named Montoya, 27 years old, who attended the air show with a friend. I just stood there. I was in complete shock and disbelief. Everybody around was gasping. Everybody was bursting into tears. Everybody was in shock. Dallas Mayor Eric Johnson called it a terrible tragedy. The videos are heartbreaking, he tweeted. Please say a prayer for the souls who took to the sky to entertain and educate our families today. Officials would not say how many people were on board the planes, but Hank Coates, president of the company that put on the air show, said a B-17 Flying Fortress bomber typically has a crew of four to five people, while a P-63 King Cobra fighter plane has a single pilot. Uh, The B-17, an immense four-engine bomber, was a cornerstone of U.S. air power during World War II. The King Cobra, a U.S. fighter plane, was used mostly by Soviet forces during the war. Most B-17s were scrapped at the end of World World War II, and only a handful remain today, largely featured at museums and air shows, according to Boeing. Uh, There were no paying passengers on the aircraft, unlike that Horrible tragedy. What was that, last year or the year before in uh, Connecticut? Uh, that Brandon? was 2019. 2019. A couple of three years ago. The, wow. the 909, right, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was one of those flights where they had people paying to ride on the airplane. And uh, in this case, it was just the, the, the folks that are, you know, involved in this um, in this passion of flying World War II uh, aircraft. And we do, uh, by the way... Uh, this uh, article from which I'm reading um, at you know was a, a few days back. At the time, they didn't want to release the names of the uh, people that uh, died in the crash because they wanted to make sure that all the uh, families were notified. And uh, but they have now released the uh, names, and I believe there are five on the uh, B-17 and uh, one on the uh, in the P-63. And I'm trying to scroll down here to go get to the names. Here we go. Um, on the uh, B-17, it was Terry Barker from Keller, Texas, uh, Kevin K-5 Michaels, Austin, Texas, Dan Reagan uh, from Dallas, uh, Leonard Len Root, Fort Worth, Texas, and Kurt Rowe, Hilliard, Ohio. And then the, uh, the person, the pilot flying the uh, P-63, uh, King Cobra from Montgomery, Texas, uh, Craig Houtain. And, uh, These are yeah. the two uh, uh, American the Airlines retired video, American Airlines. Uh, I'm mean, sorry. On the video, we're showing a couple of pictures of 
two um, of the, uh, I think they were both the pilots, Barker and Root, uh, and they were um, formerly American Airlines um, airline pilots, and both retired. And, uh, oh, man, so, you know, immediately when I see something like this, uh, Nick Camacho, um, I, I think of you because you are involved in this kind of thing. And in fact, I don't know, was Betsy's Biscuit Bomber even, was it there or was she nope. somewhere else? Okay. Nope. They were out in California performing. This was a, uh, you know, this event was kind of the homecoming, um, and year end air show for commemorative air force and for, you know, for people that aren't familiar with them or maybe people on the other side of the world, commemorative air force is basically the largest organization um largest flying warbird organization i assume in the world you know in the states it's definitely um a giant and it you know it's basically something that was built up from uh, a couple of farmers back in the 50s or 60s buying a mustang and then continued to grow it and, and grow it and now it's a a huge organization with chapters uh dozens of chapters all over the country and um airplanes airplanes that they operate and they're uh restoring um that number probably in the ah man i don't even know how many are are airworthy but they've got uh dozens of airplanes as well as the dozens of their chapters so they do a um really good job of uh kind of keeping uh the history alive and and continuing to share the story and they you know they go beyond just um flying the airplanes. I, I, if anybody's familiar with like the red tail Mustang, uh, that's a significant effort that the commemorative air force has done, uh, where they have, um, not just restored an airplane for a specific purpose. In that case, it's to, um, kind of spotlight the impact of, um, black aviators, the struggle they had and the impact they had on the outcome of world war II. but they turned that into like a whole entire learning experience. So now they have you know, basically this whole unit that moves with the airplane, the airplane will go fly at air shows. And they also have a, uh, mobile movie theater where they show a documentary they put together. Um, so it's really a, an impressive organization and they do a lot of, uh, great things beyond just restoring and flying airplanes, which they're also good at. Um, and like I said, this was their, uh, kind of year end homecoming show They're I think they're based there at Dallas executive, um, yeah, just a terribly unfortunate thing. I was surprised in the uh, the guy that's uh, head of the. I don't know if he's head of the head of the commemorative Air Force uh, in whole, or just the local chapter there. But he said that we're like close to eight hundred airplanes in the commemorative Air Force. Can that be right? That seems like a huge number of airplanes. But uh, that seems high. But it could. Yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, there we'll we'll have a link to the um, uh, the video the uh, well, the news brief um, video where he uh, talks a little bit about the organization and what they do. And uh, did you happen to know any? I know there's so many people involved in this kind of flying. Nick, did you know any of the people involved in this? I I had uh, actually just last year at Oshkosh, I had briefly met uh, Craig Hutane, the pilot of the P sixty three. He uh, he and Sherman Smoot flew together at Continental before um, Continental and United merged. And so uh, they were good buddies. And, you know, we had the C-47 out at Oshkosh last year. 
And uh, Craig, in addition to flying the P-63, also has a T-6 that's painted up as a P-64, which is basically like a militarized version of a T-6, uh, and participates in the Tora 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 demonstrations. So he was out there last year with his T-6, uh, flying in the Tora Tora demonstrations and then um, doing an aerobatic routine in the T-6. So, Yeah, I watched that video that, uh, that somebody interviewed him at Oshkosh. Uh, and he talks a little bit about that and the fact that his dad, I think, was a World War II pilot. Mm-hmm. And also it was involved in, in this historical uh, kind of flying as well and got him into it. And uh, as you said, he's also uh, an airline pilot. Um, or he, uh, and he was within a couple of years, I think, of uh, retiring. So I think he's like a year or so behind me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, wow. Just so sad. Yep. Um, anything anybody else wants to add, you know, we, they, they're kind of, there's a, there are a lot of videos out there, including, um, Blanca Lirio's, uh, and, and they're doing a fine job of kind of explaining, you know, the different kind of patterns that the uh, bombers and the, and the fighters fly and the parade route or whatever they call it. Um, mm-hmm. and how that, how that's all supposed to take place and, you know, possible reasons for why, this particular um, fighter collided with the B-17 because it, I guess it's, it's notoriously bad um, uh, visibility out the front and and out front and below. Big blind spot. Uh, big blind spot in the thing. And uh, anyway, so there's a lot of good stuff out there already. And, of course, there's a lot of trash as well. Uh, people making wild speculation that have no idea what they're talking about. But um, you know, if you look hard enough, you'll find the good stuff and we're not going to, I'm certainly not going to speculate because I don't know anything about this type of flying and these, uh, war birds and stuff. So, um, anything else you want to add? There? I'm right there with you. Mm-hmm. The only thing I was going to add, Jeff, is that, you know, the, um, the safety record for this type of flying has been pretty impressive. Uh, uh apparently, um, the NTSB said that, uh, that, investigated 21 accidents in the last 40 years involving World World War II era bombers. Um, so, you know, they this is not a common occurrence and their safety record is excellent. Uh, despite the fact they're flying really old aircraft uh, in a very dynamic uh, situation, as you see in air shows. Uh, so a tribute to all the people who put so much time and effort into this flying. Accidents in aviation, I hate to say it, are almost inevitable. When they happen in the public eye like this, they get sometimes get blown completely out of proportion. Um, but uh, I just want to say that I you know, have the utmost respect for everyone involved in this type of flying. And particularly for those who've uh, lost their lives in this dreadful incident. Yeah, and 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 precisely because of that respect, I think it's 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 best that we leave it you know leave it up to the professionals to come up with um, the reason why um, this unfortunate accident happened. And so uh, I, I I'm I'm right there with you, Nick and uh, Jeff and Nick. That um, let's see what the NTSB comes up with and um, go from there. Uh, however, um, just, um, my heart goes out to them and their families clearly because, um, it's, it's, a it's a loss that you can't, uh, you can't get over. So and just rest in peace, fellas. Yep. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, I, yeah, I had a couple of, couple of quick things kind of related to what Nick was mentioning. You know, uh, every time this happens, um, it seems like, well, like in this case, I saw a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, comments like, Oh, you know, they, they just got lucky where it happened because nobody on the ground was hurt or, um, you know, making comments like it could have been worse and it, it could have, and I think it probably always can get worse, but I, I think it's also important to note that, um, it, air show flying and FAA waiver flying and, um, all of that stuff that occurs at air shows, the, everything is designed to minimize, uh, risk to people on the ground and, um, and all of that sort of thing. So it, it kind of irks me a little bit when people say, um, oh yeah, you know, they got lucky or they're just fortunate that it didn't happen somewhere else. And, um, I'm not saying that it couldn't have happened in those other places, but a lot of times, um, these flying displays are designed to minimize that risk and they're designed to, if something bad happens, you know, have this sort of outcome where they have as minimum impact to people and structures on the ground as possible. So that that's a little frustrating to me. And then the other thing is just kind of going back on what all of you guys have said, you know, there's so many people that are loudly outspoken either on social media or in just chat groups or whatever, um, about believing that they already knew what happened. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people that either have that know people that do this kind of flying or that do this kind of flying on their own and have a pretty good idea of, um, what, what may have occurred to cause this, but, you know, even the people that were, uh, there involved in this show that attended the briefing that understood all of the, um, all of the, the different separation rules that they had in place. Um, even when they have all that information, they still don't know, you know, what caused those two airplanes to be in the place that they were in, you know? So it's, it frustrates me when you get somebody who says, you know, jumps on Facebook or Twitter or wherever and says, well, you know, clearly I flew, I flew in an air show in my such and such 30 years ago. And here's how we handled this. And because of that, this guy's in the wrong. And I don't know if I assume it's just because there are so many different videos and views of this incident, but it, it seems like that has been magnified with this crash. I, I don't know if it's, that's true or not, but it just kind of feels that way. Yeah, and then as far as the it could have been worse part, it's it's it doesn't get any worse for for those poor souls that you know are no longer with us, and for for those uh, gentlemen's families. So it's it's bad. So it's just like I was saying earlier, and I I'm I'm a hundred percent with you, Nick. You know, if, out of respect, it's it's best that we just leave it up to um, the professionals um, and um, and just 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 go from there. I think, um, and I'm I'm. It's interesting. This and it never it never ceases to amaze me um, how um, you know, this this is a this is an aspect of flying that I'm I have no no experience on and I have no idea. And it's 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 so it's so good to have you, um, Nick, uh, to give us your uh, your uh, your behind the scenes and your and your uh, you know your your experience with this with this kind of flying. Um, and uh, just 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 lucky lucky to have you here with the with with your input. Yeah. All right. We all feel that way. Thank you. 
Um, anything else to add, uh, Nick uh, Camacho, before we continue? All right. Uh, I don't think so. I think we all hit it pretty well. Okay, good. And of course, we'll be covering any updates to this as information is released uh, by the um, NTSB. All right, let's continue with the next item in our feedback or news uh, notebook. Um, this is the final report on a crash of a Srivijaya uh, 737-500 at Jakarta on the 9th of January 2021. Uh, it lost height and impacted the Java Sea. On November 10th, 2022, the KNKT, and then in parentheses NTSC, okay, uh, released their final report concluding the probable causes of the crash were... Okay, I, I need to stop here for a moment. This, I, I don't know how many pages long this was originally, Liz. <laughs> a lot. But, a lot. I mean, I, I, tried to, I tried to read through most of it, uh, and I am definitely not going to I read this I think you should try to read through all of it again. Yeah, because it's... <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're going to have to extend it another show. couple hours, I think. <laughs> we'll be here till next like, week. <laughs> yeah. Um, they go into a lot of detail, uh, and things that uh, to me didn't seem to make any difference. But anyway, bottom line is, uh, I guess I should start from the top and see if we can make some sense of this. <laughs> it's um, funny you say that. Cause when I first saw this, I, I kind of did the same thing as you. I read the first, uh, paragraph and then I scrolled down looking for like the highlighted or bold part that says like probable cause or outcome. It never, no. it there never got there. No, you don't, you don't, they don't structure it that way. And sadly, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, we need bullet points here. Um, probable causes of the crash were the corrective maintenance processes, processes of the auto throttle problem were unable to identify the friction or binding within the mechanical system of the thrust lever and resulted the prolonged and unresolved of the auto throttle problem. Now this is written by uh, Indonesian language folks. So this is the English translation. translation. So it's not always going to be perfect, obviously. I didn't do um, the translation. You didn't do the translation, Liz? Oh, I man, did not. I was, I was going to be very impressed with you if, if you had, because I didn't even know you knew the language. Okay. I know um, Sri Jaya. Okay. <laughs> the, uh, the right. So basically in a nutshell, this airplane takes off 737. It's night. Uh, they're climbing out over the Java Sea. They're avoiding some thunderstorm activity. Uh, they have the autopilot engaged, auto thrust system engaged as well. They're uh, using the um, various modes, lateral modes of the uh, autopilot system to uh, fly the airplane around these uh, thunderstorms. And uh, what's happening uh, when they're switching to various modes, uh, vertical modes, uh, the auto throttle system is, you know, doing what it's supposed to do. Uh, when you go, like, say, switch from a, uh, a managed mode of climb thrust to a uh, vertical speed mode, so you the, the auto throttle system uh, essentially tries to maintain that selected speed in the vertical speed mode, and uh, all the while on a on a Boeing and an airplane like Brent and I fly the. Uh, basically a DC-9, um, the auto throttle systems in these airplanes um, actually move the throttle levers, unlike an Airbus. So we have a mechanical component to this um, system. And depending on how old 
or new, the uh, whether it's a FADEC controlled kind of a system or not. Like for instance, the 88, the Mad Dog that uh, Brent and I flew, it was actually you know there were cables connected from the throttle levers all the way back to the fuel control units in the way back in the back of the airplane uh, next to the uh, or connected to the uh, jet engines. Um, FADEC systems are basically controlled electronically. They're linked that way. Um, and the, but they still, uh, on, for instance, this particular jet, they actually manually, there's servos that move the throttles. Um, so when, uh, a thrust redu- reduction occurs, the throttles move, uh, they retard, they move backwards move toward the, you know, the back of the airplane. And then when power is added, it, it moves forward. I guess what happened here, and it, and it has a history of write-ups uh, that uh, when the airplane was in the auto throttle mode, uh, when power was reduced, the right throttle lever didn't move. It was it got kind of stuck, uh, or or if it did move, it didn't move as much as it was as it was supposed to. So uh, so it's commanding both throttles to move back, both engines to reduce thrust, uh, the, and because the right one's not going back as far as it should. Uh, the left one's starting to compensate for that. So it's going back even more because it's trying to maintain that speed. And over time, the 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 difference, uh, the spread uh, between the throttle positions got to the point where when they were trying to uh, make a right bank to avoid some thunderstorm cells, um, they had the thing like basically cranked all the way to the right. And, and the bank was in the and the control yokes were like way to the right i forgot what the what degree of uh right um that was like about 39 degrees or so um and but the airplane was only banking five degrees uh so something was wrong there and they should have noticed it they didn't and it got to the point where again this is kind of a nutshell thing and i think that rick is going to be better at kind of explaining all this no, because you, it's a you, no, you, you, you've done a great job it's i mean i've, I've got really not so at, at some point the, the, that, the yeah the no, auto no, throttle system basically goes i give up right it, it just goes with with most auto flight systems at a certain point it's just going to go i'm doing everything you're you're telling me to do and i'm trying to do it i can't i i've gotten to the point now where i don't have any more authority and and i'm just you have the airplane you have the throttles and i'm not sure if they realize that the throttles were now their thing or what i think that the basically the airplane goes into an unusual attitude pilots are confused about what's happening here airplane goes into an unusual attitude it's dark it's night over the java sea and they didn't take the appropriate steps to recover the airplane and they crashed all right and that's all i mean that's pretty much all i really know how or what to say for this, but Rick, why don't you take over? No, I just, I, you, you hit all the, all the points, you know, all the, all the nails directly in the head there. Um, the only thing I'd add perhaps is that, um, on, on a Boeing aircraft, um, I don't know how it works on, on the, on the, uh, MD 95 or 717, but on Boeing aircraft, um, the majority of them, at least ones I've flown, anything over two units of uh, aileron trim uh, is going to deploy roll spoilers on the wing that's going down. So that it is going to, um, Obviously, uh, and, and the reason why you have roll spoilers is because um, it, it helps with um, with with banking with with your maneuverability, right? Maneuverability of the aircraft, uh, and so uh, you have to be mindful of that. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I uh, it's 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 one of those situations where if 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 you ever you know if, if found yourself in the simulator um, and you're flying around without the proper amount of rudder trim, you'll see your yoke, um, you know, going one way or the other. And the I, ideally, what you have to do if you're flying in an engine out situation is you want to go. And give yourself the amount of rudder trim uh, required to level your yoke. And so, if your yoke is is um, is um, you know pointing towards the left, you know the the, the left side is is low. Then you go you give yourself left rudder trim to 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 zero that out and and, and try to fly a a not not try to fly the fly a, a coordinated aircraft uh, because of because of this. Now in this situation, that it wasn't it wasn't an engine issue per se. It was a auto throttle issue. And as you said, uh, uh, Jeff, yeah, yes, the the auto throttles are back driven on, on on Boeing aircraft and uh as as um uh, as we've uh, learned here there there was uh, some kind of issue with the uh, one of the throttles binding um another another thing to keep in mind here and this is something that I've um that I um uh, I try to do as much as possible uh, while in the terminal area uh, always keep your hands on the controls always because these at least with these with these systems that are back driven you can uh, you can really um I'd like to say that you have to fly with your five senses. Uh, you need to f- hear the aircraft. That's why I'm not uh, personally, and this is just me. I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of no, uh, noise attenuation um, during uh, the takeoff, the climb, the descent, and the landing because I like to listen and hear the engines. And I need to, you know, hold the controls of the aircraft. My feet on the rudder pedals, my hand on the yoke, my right hand on the throttles, and kind of follow along to what the aircraft, uh, the autopilot, is doing uh, because. Um, that 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 gives me an idea of of how the aircraft, you know, the the health of the aircraft, uh, and then also it's important to uh, keep your flight mode enunciations, uh, which is uh, the, the basically what the autopilot is doing, the modes of the active modes, of the autopilot. Uh, keep that in your scan because um, I've I've noticed uh, over the years that a lot of people tend to look at the mode control panel, uh, which is basically the interface between the pilot. And the autopilot, uh, instead of looking at what the FMA is actually saying, what the actual modes uh, of the autopilot are and the autothrottle are, uh, and so, uh, but yeah, just uh, just keep your hands uh, keep your hands on the throttle and the uh, and the yoke, and uh, and it's one of those things where things just kind of um, got to a point where you know it's just just unrecoverable. Um, you just I mean you, you go out. I mean, have you ever been outside with no moon and no discernible horizon? really hard to tell which way is up and uh, you know you know and uh, add, add to that the fact that uh, you find yourself in a very uh, dynamic situation trying to figure out which way is up and you have the split throttles and it's just man uh, just just a bad way to go but um, I really don't know what else to add uh, but you, you hit everything on the nail uh, on, on the head uh, Jeff well the thing that was really really frustrating and I think a, a significant contribution to this whole thing was the investigation noted that since 2013 until the accident flight, there were 65 problems related to the auto throttle system uh, and uh, the reported engineer actions in attempting to address the reported auto throttle problem were dominated by cleaning connectors. Replacements of several components were also performed. The, uh, the what is the aircraft maintenance log AML recorded replacement of the right engine. However, auto throttle problems still occurred uh, that showed that the problem was not related to the engine. The engineer actions did not solve the problem. 
so they did all these different things. Also, uh, 61 problems related to the difference in engine parameters between left and right engines, 32 times of auto throttle disengagement. Most of the differences in the engine parameters were reported during the aircraft on descent. The AML also recorded the lack of thrust lever movement of the right engine. Six pilot reports related to slow response of the right thrust lever to flight idle during set descent. Two pilot reports related to the thrust reverser lever hard to move. I mean, they have just all this, all this history, and nobody seemed to realize that it was the darn right throttle lever binding. Nobody, after all that time, all those connected years, connected the dots. Yeah, nobody connected the dots, and uh, I just like wow that. Uh, and then even the the pre the flight right before this flight, this accident flight, uh, they had a, a, a similar occurrence happen to them, uh, but they were able to you know recover from it. Uh, but they, I think they said in this report that they didn't write it up. They didn't. They didn't tell anybody. Wow. <laughs> so yeah. this is really sad, you know, to, uh, and now I'm saying this crew without any of that information should have been able to, because they're trained professional airline pilots to, to sense, as you said, you know, by following through on the, on the airplane controls and everything else, that something wasn't operating correctly. And if they even got it to the point where the airplane left controlled flight that they should be able to they, this happened around 10,000 feet above the java sea they should have been able to be you know able to recover from the from that i in my opinion but they didn't they weren't yeah anyway yeah um yeah it's a binding sounds like a binding cable issue on on newer type aircraft um uh you you have a it's it's just very simply put is a it's basically a a dc motor signal that um that is directly proportional to thrust um, uh, lever movement angle uh, and there's it's actually there's there's a name for that sensor there's the, the um thrust quadrant angle sensor I believe it is uh, off the top of my head and it's basically obviously the 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 further up the, 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 i mean the higher the uh, the closer to the front of the aircraft the thrust levers are the higher the voltage, and then that voltage is um, interpreted by the EECs as a command for higher thrust. Um, not the case with the 737-500. 737-500 really is the replacement for the 737-200. So it's, I mean, you're talking very, very early technology here. So uh, it's all it's all cables to the flight, to the uh, fuel control units, like uh, like in the old uh, Mad Dog uh, there, Jeff. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Any um, anything to add, uh, Camacho or Captain Nick? No, sir. You've covered it very well. Not right. my end. Well, really, the uh, only reason why we wanted to talk about it was so we could play this sound clip. Stevie Jaya. Okay. Probably yep. the last time for a while. Yeah, it might be the last time <laughs> for a while, Liz says. Okay. Um, let's uh, continue with a preliminary report of a King Air. I believe it was a 1974 um, Beach E-90. Um, it was October 18th of this year, 7.09 Eastern Daylight Time, a morning flight. Uh, November 515 Golf Kilo was substantially damaged when it was involved in an accident in Marietta, Ohio. The two commercial pilots were fatally injured. The airplane was operated as a Title 14 Code of Federal Regulations Part 91 positioning flight. Flight originated at the John Glenn Columbus International Airport, CMH, in Columbus, Ohio. 
It was en route to Mid-Ohio Valley Regional Airport, um, Parkersburg, West Virginia. Uh, preliminary automatic dependent surveillance broadcast, ADSB data, revealed that after takeoff from CMH, the airplane climbed, turned on a ground track of 115 degrees, then leveled off at 11,000 feet, where it remained for most of the en route portion of the 75 nautical mile flight. So pretty pretty quick flight, short flight. Um, turns out that um, the uh, uh, well, let me let me do this. Let me play a little bit of the. Um, ATC live audio uh, from the flight. And um, let's see, here we go. We're going to take a listen. some security camera video that uh, is is quite dramatic and you'll see in the center of the screen here it coming down and crashing and I think that uh, in the next few frames we'll see uh, some more slow motion of that same uh, clip uh, some people thought maybe you know the aircraft was on fire before it hit the ground, but I believe because of the camera, the security camera and the infrared kind of thing. Anyway, it was a landing light that uh, the regular lighting of the aircraft, as far as I can tell here, but it uh, is definitely going almost straight down and kind of um, rolling a bit. Um, so obviously both pilots perished in this accident, sadly. Um, uh, what, what I was going to say is that day, uh, there was a, an airmet uh, for that entire area expanding or spanning from west of Columbus, Ohio, all the way east of Parkersburg, West Virginia, for um, icing, significant icing between essentially the surface and 13,000 feet. And they were the entire flight at 11,000 feet. And so uh, they're Investigators are thinking that uh, icing is definitely going to be a significant factor in the uh, in the cause of this uh, crash. Well, I hate to say, it, in the past, uh, icing has been a, a devil of a a nightmare for uh, aviation. Um, but modern aircraft are expected, all weather aircraft in particular, are expected to be able to cope 
with icing conditions. And uh, we're so well educated that, uh, uh, you know, there's it's something that should be in the forefront of our minds, whether we're actually in a forecast area of icing or, in this case, an area where icing is both forecast and reported by other pilots. It should definitely be there. So little concern that that might be the cause because, really and honestly, that's no good reason for um, that. But it would explain uh, uneven amounts of lift, uh, you know, stall and then spin. But um, I guess we're going to find out when the uh, final report comes out. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I was I was just going to kind of mention the same thing, uh, right? As you look at here in the uh, in the the news section we've got here, there's a clip of the FlightAware, both the positional log, but also a a graph of the airspeed, and you can see the last couple of minutes of the flight you know, the air airspeed, obviously getting set up for an approach, they're slowing down. Um, but, uh, you know, that's just the first thing that came to my mind is hundred miles an hour in a twin turbine is uh prime real estate. If you got a bunch of ice on the airplane. Yeah. It'd be interesting to, what, what kind of, what kind of, um, I don't imagine they have anti-icing. They probably have de-icing, right? Uh, uh, the uh, the Beechcraft. I've never flown a, a Beechcraft or a, or a turboprop for that matter, and um, so I'm not. Uh, I I know that uh, turboprops, you know, they hang around in the you know the the, the areas. The um, worst case. Yeah, the worst areas. Exactly where where <laughs> yeah. the icing is the worst. Uh, we we on on uh, jet airliners um, usually fly above um, the icing. Um, uh, the heaviest uh, layers of icing, and we plan accordingly. Um, we tell the, uh, the the flight management system where we expect to find the icing, and the reason why uh, the reason why we do that is because that way, the FMC can recalculate um, our optimum descent point based on that slightly higher uh, idle uh, power. Uh, because if if you're going to be uh, running the uh, the engine anis and the wing anis. Uh, and you go uh, to a higher idle, uh, which requires a recalculation of your top of descent point to make it um, as continuous and economical as possible. But uh, going to props, uh, to, to turbo props, um, you really are flying in the thick of it in the soup. And uh accident comes to mind um, was um, it was an ATR, or I believe it was a 72 American Eagle back in Roseland, Indiana. A very, very, very similar issue here. Well, I'm not saying that this is what happened to this particular um, aircraft, but... Uh, It'd be, uh, I'm sure the NTSB fellows are, are, are looking into uh, icing as a possibility. Yeah, I'm looking at this photo here of, of the actual accident aircraft. Uh, they have boots. Um, yeah, I guess you boots, would call uh, that um, de-icing, right? Not anti-icing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't yeah. prevent the icing. But icing builds up. And I've never flown an airplane that has inflatable boots. But you get to the certain point where it, then you just hit the switch and it, it they inflate and then it breaks apart the ice and it sheds off i guess brent have you ever flown an airplane like that barely and yeah. definitely not in the weather so <laughs> yeah okay. all right um anything else to add we'll kind of keep our eyes open um regarding the investigation of that but it's a another another tragedy and I help boxes says it's an interesting point here. He's talking about uh, the fluctuating airspeed being at GPS airspeed. Um, I don't know. Uh, ADSB um, basically the way your um, your ADSB 
ADSB stands for Automatic Dependent Surveillance. It's basically a way of uh, the aircraft has of um, letting um, uh, ATC and other aircraft know, you know, their altitude, their speed, their, you know, their heading, all that stuff. And and, uh, the difference between ADSB and ADSC is that ADSB works directly through the transponder, whereas ADSC works via data link. Um, And uh, so ADSB does take into account... um, um, you know, transponder data, whether it was GPS uh, inputs or indicated, I don't know. I, I don't know if, uh, I think that is aircraft specific. I know that our ADS-C uh, and our ADS-B, when we're not logged on to CPDLC or uh, to, or to Datalink, our, our um, airspeed um, readout or um, input into the ADS-B system is uh, GPS, um, if we are GPS equipped and inertial, uh, if we're not. So I don't know if that's uh, aircraft specific or not, but it's good. All right. Okay. Let's move on. Um, next item here um, from, oh, I've been negligent in telling everybody where these things are from. This is from the Aviation Herald, one of our favorite uh, resources for incidents and accidents. A MEA or MIA, Middle East Airlines, Airbus A320-200, registration Oscar Delta Mike Romeo Mike, performing flight 311 from uh, Amman, Jordan, to Beirut, Lebanon, departed Amman's runway 26 right, climbed to flight level 280, and landed on Beirut's runway 16 about 40 minutes later. Uh, In flight, the fuselage crown was penetrated by an object believed to be a bullet upon landing in Beirut. The airline reported a stray bullet struck the aircraft as it was landing in Beirut. Celebrity gunshots hit about seven to eight stationary aircraft at Beirut Airport per year. This was uh, the first time a moving aircraft was hit, and they got cowboys there. Yeehaw! Obviously. Yeehaw! Uh, Jeff, just real yeah. quick, uh, I think you meant to say celebratory Cele- gunshots. Celeb- celebratory. I think yeah, celebrity, celebrity gunshots are well, slightly I think, well, different. No, <laughs> I think it was a celebrity that did it. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I, I retract myself. Well, no, I, no, you're right. It's celebra- is, celebratory. Thank you, uh, gunshots. Well, he'll be a celebrity uh, when he gets be arrested. must proving if they finally hit a moving one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, these are like they're lobbing. They're going up, and then they're coming back down. That's so. It's that's well, pretty amazing. Do that. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, but you know what I mean. I don't think it had anything to. Well, I guess. You, I guess you have an aiming uh, aspect of it, but uh, that's a yeah. skill depending on what weapon you're using. Uh, yeah. Apparently, so that was a pretty big darn hole that uh, went through. Looking at that second uh, one, Liz. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just and look how close it came to some of these cables that look like. Well, that looks like barbed wire, but that can't be right. That must be uh, kind of <laughs> twisted or something. Are you <laughs> sure? It's Wait not a minute. It's a Texas. Uh, it's a Texas jet. Yeah, <laughs> oh, right. that counts for it. Yeah, I love it. Anyway, um, yeah, that could have easily been a major problem if it hit one of the control cables or something. You know, maybe. Yeah, know. that was uh, when we used to fly in Afghanistan on the seven four. That was always a concern of ours, um, and the reason why we 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 had to do things a certain way, go in and you know do this specific descent pattern inside a protected area and with your lights off and you couldn't have your lights on until very short final if you wanted them and um it it happened a couple of times um you know you get uh you get uh you know the aircraft modified and then it's um uh, 
and then it's a problem trying to get it out of there because uh, you have to contact um, you know, engineering and Boeing has to get involved. And, you know, in the meantime, your duty time is going, you know, just clicking away. And then you find yourself uh, stuck in, uh, you know, barracks somewhere. And that, that can't be that can't be fun. Um, never happened to me, but I, kn- I know of a couple of times that uh, happened um, at different different outfits that you t- used to operate in out of there. Hmm. Mohammed, our uh, air traffic control representative in um, Baghdad, Iraq, uh, he says, uh, unfortunately, people here celebrate using gunshots, even celebrities. Um, (laughs) I added that, actually. Um, But, uh, yeah, well, that's pretty crazy. Um, Let's see. So I'm thinking, you know, if you're flying an airplane, this is the next one uh, uh, from the Mm -hmm. Aviation Herald. Uh, a Link uh, SF-34, Saab 340B, uh, operating on behalf of Virgin Australia. Um, so, you know, you have this airplane, propellers on the ground. You know, they can twirl around, hit people and stuff. Uh, so, uh, you know, it'd be a good idea to, to have some kind of a system to secure the propeller at night, uh, except that you have to remember to remove that before you go flying. <laughs> Take it off. Um, yeah, so they were departing. I don't know how they got this far, actually. They departed run, uh, Canberra's runway 35 when a strap used to secure the left-hand propeller on the ground struck and penetrated the left side of the aircraft, causing minor injuries to three passengers. The flight crew, having received an emergency call from the cabin crew, stopped the initial climb at 3,000 feet and returned to the airport for an immediate landing on runway 35 about seven minutes after departure. Uh, the ATSB deployed investigators on site reported a ratchet strap attached to the propeller punctured the side of the plane with one of its ends appearing inside the cabin shortly after takeoff. There's the uh, photo of that on screen in the video. Uh, the strap had been used to secure the propeller overnight, had not been removed. Uh, not a good pre-flight apparently. And again, I'm just like uh, perplexed. How, how did they actually get the engine started and get the propeller running and get that take off and, and not. Well, a lot of these, a lot of these smaller airplanes have a, um, a lot of them don't have APUs and, uh, you have, um, um, what are called prop brakes and, um, you, you'll engage the prop in the prop brake and you'll actually use the hot portion of the engine to run the accessories required for electricity and, um, and, um, you know, um, climate control of the aircraft while the prop is, is, you know, basically stopped. You have um, a, um, a a free spinning turbine that's connected to that prop, and so you will get uh, again. Haven't flown a turboprop ever, but just just from basic you know AMP knowledge stuff from back in the day. Uh, you engage this prop brake, uh, the engine runs. You get electricity and uh, and uh, climate control, and then once you're ready to go, you release a prop brake, and then the prop starts uh, you know starts going. Uh, so. I imagine that the indications were normal as far as torque and everything else, but uh, I don't know if, um, and again, someone that has experience flying turboprospector is going to chime in here. Uh, I don't know if um, the, I, I believe the primary, um, the primary indication of power on turboprops is torque, right? And I don't know if, if, if turboprops have the equivalent of an N1, um, uh, you know, N1 uh, rotation, uh, um, indicator. Uh, I don't know. So I, I mean, that's, that's the my prop guess. Was was swinging freely for takeoff. Otherwise, they wouldn't have got airborne. But they because they've got three thousand yeah. feet, Rick. So yeah, yeah. yeah. M- my feeling is that uh, um, they released one end of this uh, tape, 
that was uh, this cord that was holding the props in position. Uh, but they didn't actually remove it from the propeller tip, so it was probably flailing around um, until eventually it f flung itself off and bumped into the fuselage. So um, that, that <laughs> I don't know how these things work, but uh, yeah, uh, that would be my guess. I tell you, whoever whoever uh, you know put that uh, that uh, strap on that prop there is either uh, you know Samson or uh, or the or the uh, whatever <laughs> whatever system is used to keep it uh, to keep it uh, you know secure there is is man that's uh, torque but torque yeah because after all it must have hung on there at full power okay. for the takeoff and then eventually yeah. worked itself free or frayed loose or something I don't know you know what you must. Have these bits of kit, Nick? Do you use these at all? Me? Yeah, <laughs> you're the only Nick here, except me. The uh, <laughs> <laughs> you. The uh, no, all the airplanes I fly are, you know, internal combustion engines that aren't deal with well, compression don't you worry strokes about the and props stuff. Spinning? No, I guess you wouldn't. They probably mm -hmm. you've got to turn the whole engine around to get the prop to flip over, haven't you? Well, yeah, all the internals of the engine. You know, you got to go through a compression stroke i don't know about the bigger oh, that sounds so <laughs> naughty <laughs> uh i don't know about the bigger i'm sorry i don't know about the bigger uh turbo props but like rick was saying the some of those freewheeling turbo props like the king air we just talked about in the last um story it's not uncommon to see those guys when they're getting ready to go the propellers will just kind of be windmilling lightly on the ground and that's because it's not um direct drive connected to anything and it does not take very much wind to start moving the propellers so that's why all of those guys will have these restraint mechanisms um mm. usually they uh do not affect the performance of the aircraft though <laughs> but it's wow. it's also not a not unheard of for ground equipment to uh um for for pilots to have uh incidents with ground equipment um there's a video that just started going around uh, the internet either last night or this morning of a t6 a original a north american t6 texan taking off with a tow bar and uh, i saw it yeah you know that's it's one thing if you are a uh, like a cessna 150 taking off with the little which i think happens all the time right the little like three foot tow bar like one bar um and you take off with that thing, but a T6 tow bar is, you know, eight to 10 feet long. It's this big, uh, wishbone shaped thing. And, um, there's a video of this airplane taking off with that huge, probably weighs 60 to 70 pounds tow bar hanging off the main struts of the airplane. So it's also wow. not unheard of for pilots to, uh, um, overlook some of that basic ground support equipment. Yeah, like the other day, I forgot forgot to remove the tow bar, and uh, there's a lot of drag. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. A lot of drag. That, that's that's why that's why that's why I like super tugs better because you know there's no tow bar involved. So <laughs> yeah, one less no thing to worry about. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Okay, last but not least. All right, last but not least uh, from the NTSB uh, uh, preliminary report, I believe. Um, or is this the final? Final. I, can't tell. I think it's the final. final. Okay. 
Um, oh yeah, look at there. The title of the and title of, of the news item says final. Uh, analysis. The pilot was on a cross-country instrument flight rules flight. Uh, while en route to the destination airport, he diverted to an alternate airport with a higher ceiling. The flight was operating in instrument meteorological conditions. Uh, by the way, it was a Cirrus SR-22 um, and was vectored by the controller to the initial approach fix for the instrument landing system approach. The pilot was instructed to cross the IAF at or above 2,000 feet mean sea level. However, with the vertical speed mode of the autopilot off, the airplane did not descend much below 3,000 feet pressure altitude as it approached the initial approach fix. When the flight was less than two miles from the IAF, an autopilot course capture with a corresponding heading change to the left occurred. Over the next 25 seconds, by the way, this is at uh, Myrtle Beach, Airport. Uh, Brent and I have flown in there a few times, uh, landing to the south. Uh, let's see. When the flight was less than two miles, the autopilot course capture. Let's see. No. Over the next 25 seconds, with the autopilot altitude bug set at 2,000 feet, uh, which was 1,000 feet below the airplane's current altitude, the autopilot vertical speed mode engaged, and the autopilot vertical speed bug set initially to 500, 300. No, let's see, 500 feet. Uh, descent five foot, feet per minute descent and then subsequently to greater than 750 feet per minute descent the airplane climbed less than 10 feet over the course of four seconds then began slowly descending with pitch trim in motion occurring numerous times over the course of 15 seconds the slight increase in altitude initially was likely due to an environmental conditions since the airplane then began to descend at a rate of about 1,000 feet per minute. The delay in descending was likely the result of an increased startup voltage of the pitch servo, uh, which, is, which, which is not supposed to happen. As the airplane neared the IAF, a waypoint change from the IAF to the original destination airport occurred. Whoopsie! <laughs> That's definitely not supposed to occur. Uh, it's likely that this erroneous waypoint change was re was the result of pilot input. The airplane flew through the localizer course, and as it passed outside of the outer edge of the localizer, the autopilot turned off. The pilot could not recall turning the autopilot off, and the reason for the autopilot turning off could not be determined from the available evidence. Over the next minute, a series of altitude excursions occurred during which the airplane repeatedly repeatedly climbed and descended. During this time, the controller advised the pilot that he had flown through the localizer, and the pilot advised the controller that he was aborting the procedure. The pilot reported that when he added power, he had difficulty maintaining control of the airplane and that it was unstable. Subsequently, the pilot sensed that he was fighting the airplane and in an unusual attitude. With the pitch trim near full nose down position and the airplane in a corresponding negative 42 degrees nose low, and 13 degree left roll atti attitude. Uh oh. Yeah, that's not good. He deployed the nope. airframe's parachute <laughs> system. Uh, the airplane descended under canopy and touched down in the backyard of a house. The airplane's nose gear collapsed and the rudder uh, par uh, partially separated during the landing, <laughs> landing, uh, resulting in substantial damage to the airframe. While off course with the autopilot engaged and the vertical speed mode selected, the pilot likely applied and held pitch control input that was sensed by the autopilot auto trim system as an out of trim condition. The autopilot auto trim system responded by trimming the airplane, resulting in the corresponding altitude excursion. So he's he's fighting the uh, autopilot system and the autopilot's going, oh, it's out of trim. So I'm going to trim even more in the wrong direction. Uh -huh. And uh, he's going up and down, up and down. That's why the 
altitude deviations occurred. And this guy basically got in a PIO, it looks like, with himself in the airplane and decided, okay, this airplane's out of control now, so I'm just going to pull the, uh, the activate the cap system or the caps. Um, anyway, um, let me finish up the uh, uh, paragraph here. Uh, no uh, significant discrepancies were noted during testing of the remaining autopilot components. Therefore, it's likely that the pilot manually changed course when near the IAF and then intentionally applied control pressure on the control yoke for longer than three seconds with the vertical speed mode engaged. These actions resulted in a heading change, altitude excursions, and the subsequent departure from controlled flight. Uh, the NTSB determines a probable cause to be the pilot's incorrect use of the autopilot while approaching the initial approach fix and his subsequent improper primary pitch control input while a pitch mode of the autopilot was engaged, which resulted in pitch excursions and subsequent departure from controlled flight. Right now, Liz is showing, uh, or was showing on the uh, on the video, uh, and this will be in the show notes as well, I guess a company that um, recovered some of these components of the aircraft, the Cirrus uh, SR-22. This is the pitch trim actuator, which was uh, near full airplane nose down. But they didn't really see any, other than the slow startup voltage of activating the pitch uh, control servo, uh, which, as I said, was not proper completely, but um, there was a little bit of a delay um, you know, in that system. Uh, they didn't find any other discrepancies. And uh, anyway, so I'm not, I don't have experience in the Cirrus uh, SR-22. Um but uh, it certainly looks to me, I don't know if he had a lot of experience in instrument flight. Um, I'm guessing he did, didn't, but it um, looks like he kind of got into a kind of into a corner and uh, the airplane wasn't doing what he thought it should do. And so instead of disconnecting everything and just making the corrections manually, he, he was fighting the autopilot. And as we know, you know, most of us who have flown airplanes that have an autopilot, you can only go so far with the autopilot before it just goes, okay, you have the airplane now. And it might give you the airplane in a, in a condition that you're not expecting, like because it's been doing all this trimming to, to, uh, uh, to recover from or in, in, in response to what you're doing with it. Uh, I don't know if I'm making any sense, but uh, anyway, so that's, that's what happened here. And uh, they uh, luckily. Oh, have... you certainly are, Jeff. Uh, and just bear in mind that most of the aircraft we fly, most airliners, they trim using the horizontal stabilizer. So uh, that is a hugely powerful control surface. Uh, so if that gets way big time out of trim, the little elevators that most of us use to fly the airplane up and down are easily overpowered by that so uh you know i don't know exactly what system this airplane used but it's worth bearing in mind that if you've allowed the airplane to get bad badly out of trim you may not have enough control surface left to uh counter it right by the way we should mention also uh, operating under instrument flight rules and also operating in instrument meteorological conditions uh, while this occurred so you know completely in the weather and um he said that I think the the pilot um, was quoted as saying that um, the airplane was not descending as fast as the pilot wanted, and the airplane was not as stable as he wanted it to be. <laughs> Again, kind of fighting it, and um, I think in large part due to 
some errors in the way he was act actually activating the uh, autoflight system. But I don't know. An anybody else have any ideas here, Rick? No, I just uh, I'm with you. Uh, the uh, yeah. <laughs> like we like we've said here, the autopilot's only uh, it only has a certain range, operational range, and once once it's outside of that, it's like, yep, all right, I guess you know better. So here you go. And uh, oftentimes that's uh, that that can put you in an, in, uh, an unwanted uh, uh, state, uh, which it can be a little you know harder to recover from than than otherwise uh, it would. Um, but yeah, um, I don't know if you. Um, that's why it's important. I feel like it's it's important to just kind of again this this I've never flown an, uh, a a Cirrus, but I I, I imagine it has uh, something similar to flight mode initiations as far as what the active um, uh, flight mode is for the uh, portion of the flight and just you know just keep that in your scan because yeah if if, if you're if you're using the autopilot it's it's nice to know what the autopilot's doing and the only way to to do to, to see what the autopilot's doing is by by looking at what the active modes are and so uh yeah good good thing you made it though i mean good uh, th good good thing on that yeah uh, on that uh on that parachute he lived through it the airplane well, yeah i'd say yeah uh sorry when you deploy that parachute that's got a last ditch thing i'm glad he recognized the fact mm -hmm. that he had lost control of the airplane didn't continue to try and yeah. fight it down uh, until it was too late because uh, he must have known that when he when he fires that parachute you know he good chance he's going to completely ruin his airplane yeah. yeah but i'll tell you i mean if i if i if i find myself 42 degrees uh nose down and 13 degrees <laughs> rolling to the left and imc i'm gonna be pulling that puppy yeah that's an unusual attitude. <laughs> That's a yeah. upset recovery maneuver time. Um, yep. Yeah. Well before that, actually, right, Brent? Exactly. <laughs> um, I thought, again, uh, in the original uh, narrative here, as the airplane neared the initial approach fix, a waypoint change from the initial approach fix to the original destination airport occurred. So it sounds to me like maybe he didn't really have the proper RNAV procedure programmed correctly. And or it didn't have the right sequencing of waypoints for the approach because you go from the IF to the uh, the original destination airport. Uh, what happened to all those points after the IF? <laughs> They're apparently not there. So hmm. um, interesting. Maybe good point. Yeah, I, I think this is an important. Uh, I think this is an important um, example of uh, you know additional systems or automation are are good, but it's not all like just positive, right? When you add, when you start adding those systems and everything, um, they can have negative, negative, uh, consequences to what's going on here. Um, especially if you don't understand like how the trim system works, you don't understand, um, all the buttonology, you know, I bet it would be a lot less likely if this guy, I don't, I was trying to look through here and, and kind of get a feel for his background and how much instrument flying he's done, but you know, if he's in an in an airplane without um, any sort of auto trim or autopilot, um, I bet it'd be a lot less likely that he got himself in a unusual attitude because he was expecting the airplane to behave a certain way. Um, and here it seems like he maybe didn't have a complete grasp of how the autopilot was responding to his inputs, and that kind of exacerbated his uh, his situation here. All right. Uh, I don't understand IHAL boxes. Loke captured 
not to be confused with low caps. <laughs> caps caps is the name of the it's Cirrus airframe parachute system. Oh, okay. So caps, oh, cap, I, I, I think that's what he's getting at is like a caps actuation. That means you pop the chute. Um, right. Okay. Intercepting localizer. Okay. Initiate <laughs> the, 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 the parachute system. Yeah. That's definitely yeah, an error. Details, details. You don't want to make. <laughs> and apparently I was kind of surprised. And I think we've talked about this before in incidents involving the Cirrus uh, airframe parachute system where they said in most cases, the airplane, you really, it's basically done. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it does so much damage to it that structural damage that it's it's toast. And those things yep. are life saves, but plain. Toast. No, but it's part of that is the the trade off right of payload and complexity. Like um, they have to fit a parachute in there, and the the speed that you hit the ground basically right is dependent on the size of the parachute. Mm -hmm. So you can either lose X amount of of your payload and hit the ground in a survivable for a human, but not survivable in an airframe um, speed and acceler de acceleration. Or, you know, if you try to wedge a parachute in there big enough to have the aircraft be reusable, um, it might take up a significant amount of your payload, your both your payload volume and your weight that you can utilize. Exactly why we don't have... Uh full airframe parachute systems for airliners because they're, yeah. they'd be so heavy you yeah. wouldn't be able to carry any passengers. Right, right. Yeah. 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 One word, bubble wrap. Actually, that's two words. Bubble wrap. <laughs> well, these days it could be one word, Rick, you know, yeah, way our language right. is. Yeah, there, you know, there, you know. Is a, there is a little bit of um, a, a two-sided conversation about the Cirrus parachute and I, I think everybody would agree that uh, it uh, it is overall it overall has positive has had a positive impact on the Cirrus by a lot right but um, there are some edge cases where you wonder if um, like the mindset that uh, the mindset was altered enough by having that parachute um, that it maybe caused an emergency that normally would not have been the case. I, I don't know enough about this situation to know if, you know, maybe this guy wasn't comfortable enough in, in IMC normally to go fly, but he had a parachute. So he thought, what's the worst that could happen? I could pop the parachute. Um, yeah. But I, I think an example of that is you go look, I think two months ago, maybe, I don't remember if we talked about it on the show because I wasn't on the show very much in September, but the Cirrus jet had their first parachute actuation. Um, and basically what happened is they flew it into a thunderstorm uh, and the airplane started to come apart and they popped the parachute. And so that was a scenario of, you know, people, <laughs> the conversation started happening of it, it is a parachute save, right? Because those people would not have made it if there wasn't a parachute, but were they emboldened by having the parachute to put the airplane in a scenario where it shouldn't have been in? Good point. I mean, it's uh, definitely uh, been a, a great selling point for uh, the Cirrus company. The, uh, yeah. you know, to to have this system, I'm sure that's the reason why they have sold so many of those darn things. Mm -hmm. um, but again, I agree. Uh, you, you there's there's got to be a that that component there where you're going. Well, I have this thing to kind of get me out of trouble if I. Where, mm -hmm. Whereas if you didn't have that in the back of your mind, you go, No, I'm not going to do More that cautious. because heck, I could kill myself mm -hmm. if I did that. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, good point. And I would take one. I would take one in a heartbeat, by the way. I would just like to point that out. Mm -hmm. 
as a oh, as you? a bonanza okay. guy. Any, oh yeah. Any anybody out there listening uh, who has a Cirrus SR? Oh no no no! I'm just saying. You know, there are some oh. people that believe that the parachute isn't worth the hassle and the loss of payload, like we talked about, and and there are maintenance implications, right? Like I think it's. I don't remember at, at some point I had a couple of friends looking at one and that was probably six or eight years ago, but it was something like every five years you have to get the rocket, um, replaced or checked out or whatever. And it was something like $15,000 every five years or eight years. So not an insignificant cost, um, for someone like me operating the level of airplane that I am, but maybe that is a insignificant cost when you're talking about a million dollar airplane owner. So Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I would take a, I would, I would like to have a parachute. Rub, rubber powered ejector seats. That's what you want. I don't, I don't want anything to do with ejection seats. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. Martin Baker would be too expensive. Yeah, you yeah, just want a big elastic band. Exactly. Oh, rubber. I'll, 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 I'll a Wiley Coyote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the one. Yeah. Show titles here, maybe. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> all right. Think about it. Somebody write it down. Oh, the Acme ejection system. <laughs> Perfect. And uh, I can see it. The uh, the little Roadrunner and uh, the Wiley Coyote. Yeah, I can see it. Okay. Um, guess what time it is. It's ah. 3.29 Central Standard Time. Oh, no. It's uh, getting to know us. <laughs> Uh, our segment where we talk about what's been happening to the uh, crew, with the crew, uh, between episodes. And uh, look at that nice uh, new graphic that uh, Nick put together. I don't think you were here, uh, Rick, when we introduced that. I'm the only one in uh, uniform, uh, I see. <laughs> I see, and a very nice hat. Is that, is that the uh, uniform hat for uh, Acme Giant? That is a uniform hat, indeed. It is. It is. Oh, at, at, actually, at Acme from Giant. what I hear, I gather you take your uniform off as soon as you get on the flight. <laughs> I take the uniform off as soon as I get to the hotel, and then I go that way to the airplane uh, in my bathrobe, actually. That was just for the okay, fun. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> Ian, hello. Yeah, why I've heard of another pilot like you. Why even bother with a uniform? Exactly. Come on. I'm going to take it off yeah. anyway. So Boxes don't know. care. Like, hello. Let me get my epaulette on uh, my bathroom. Did you say bosses don't care, Thanks Liz? So. Boxes. Boxes <laughs> don't care. Boxes don't care. Shingles doesn't care. Uh, yeah, shingles doesn't care either. Exactly. No, he does. All right. Um, so, Rick, um, since yes, we're talking to you right now and you uh-huh. haven't been with us uh, for a show or two, uh, yeah. what's been happening with you? Well, I well, the reason why I wasn't on the uh, show was it two shows ago. I uh, went over to Leipzig once again, did a nice um, little oceanic trip um, uh, over to Leipzig, uh, Germany. So I spent uh, a little over a day there. Uh, nice weather going over. It's always nice to. I, I, I tell you, I, I love doing that. Uh, the, those the oceanic crossings, especially all the all the um, Atlantic uh, crossing procedures. You know, going up you know, Gander and then Shanwick and all that stuff. Um, um, weather in Germany was great. Um, it was it was it was so good that I just left the uh, the windows at the uh, the the room open. And it was it was very very nice. Uh, very nice crisp uh, fall like weather. Uh, the Christmas markets were starting to pop up here and there. So that was always nice. Uh, always nice to walk through those. Um, and then I got to, um, visit, uh, Johann Sebastian Bach's, um, um, 
well, I guess, well, his tomb and the, the church where he, where he played. And then they have a museum out there uh, dedicated to uh, his life and his work. So I got to do that a little bit. And that was nice. Uh, flew back stateside. And then I did a, uh, a uh, one last trip from Cincinnati over to uh, Las Vegas, which apparently the last, it's funny because the last couple of times that I've, that I've uh, come home at the end of my pattern, they always uh, seem to tack on a Cincy to Vegas trip, which I mean, I, which I like. It's interesting, though, because my FO gets to stay uh, and I have to run, which I, I'm not complaining. I get to get to uh, park the airplane and then uh, run uh, to the terminal to pick up a, uh, a flight uh, down near to Phoenix. Um, it's, you know, short little half hour flight. And uh, it's nice because you get to uh, get to hum- come home and uh, and start working on your uh, on your honey do list here, um, and then uh, been up, been off for about a week. Uh, just uh, just you know, spending time here at home with the puppies. We went uh, did a, uh, a nice little hike the other day with the dogs. Um, and um, what else did I do? That's really been it. Um, getting ready to go back to work uh, on Friday, and uh, the uh, the bid package just came for the uh, December. Uh, bidding period. So I just did that. Just got awarded a Houston base, which is nice. Um, and it's a small base, only, um, only 12 captains and uh, 20 FOs in that base. And, um, this time around I'm bidding, um, uh, number two on the, on the entire, I guess, I guess bid order of seniorities, which, which is nice. Ooh, get to, number get to, two. Get to, yeah, I know. Get to bid something, uh, Something that I might uh, that I might like for a change, not have to bid a secondary line or anything like that. So, not that no, not that that matters, but uh, it's nice to kind of have an idea of what it is that you're going to get uh, in December. No sixty day lines this time, though, so it's just a thirty day line, which is fine. Uh, so that's 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 really been it. You know, just not not a lot going on. Uh, just just uh, spending time at home here with uh, with Kai and the puppies. So uh, it's uh, nice. can't complain there. Yeah, very good. We're so glad that you were able to join us today. That's uh, always yeah. a treat. All right. What'd you say, Liz? I'm Nothing. sorry. I okay. don't think I said anything. Oh, okay. I thought I heard somebody <laughs> utter something. Um, all right. Uh, who wants to go next? Let me uh, bring us all back in there. Um, Captain, Captain Nick. Captain Nick. Looks mm-hmm. like he wants to say something. I don't know. Oh, Blink I was your just going to say yes. I was very lucky. I, uh, I got... <laughs> Christmas off this year, so oh, uh, good for you! No, that's <laughs> very nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's just pretty, pretty good, huh? Yeah, I didn't even have to make a fuss about that. <laughs> um, yeah, the only thing that's really occurred. Um, well, let me cover all the other stuff first, actually, before I talk about the TDPU. Okay, and uh, that's uh, the fact that um, Sam Dawson, uh, one of our listeners, and uh, uh, United Pilot is coming to the UK on one of his uh, many UK flights on the 20th, on Sunday. And at the moment, he's planning to come to uh, my village, and we're going to go out and find a pub and uh, or perhaps have a meal at our place. But um, if there are other people in the London area who are interested in having a bit of a meet-up, uh, it's short notice, I know, but, uh, you know, just... Uh, let us know, central London kind of area. We might try and find a pub there, and I will go up to London instead. But got a few days before Sunday, so if you uh, do hear this and decide uh, you'd like to make a uh, an evening of it, um, late afternoon, evening, 
um, then let us know and uh, we'll change venue and I will go up to London instead. So that's the sitch there. Um, tomorrow I am giving a talk at the Royal Aeronautical Society branch at Brooklyn's Museum uh, and I've been running through my uh, talk which uh, um, I'm looking forward to chatting to those fine folk. Always get a good quality um, audience at one of the Royal Aeronautical Society uh, yes. do's. Yes. Much nicer than your common or garden aviation society. <laughs> yes. But um, no, that's great. And uh, more importantly, okay, the TDPU, the, um, the annual uh, phantom, uh, thinly disguised um, drinking exercise, thinly disguised piss up, um, occurred at uh, a nice pub in London. And rather than me go on about it, uh, I've got some audio, and I'm going to ap apologize for the quality of the audio and uh, the language. Because <laughs> if you have any kids, <laughs> Which go ahead and take them away. Yeah, exactly. Right. I've done my best to advised. reduce the volume on some words, but others um, I may have missed. So if I have, I apologize. Uh, and... Um, there are a few pictures and a, well, a bit of video first and then a few pictures to go along with that. So uh, enjoy. Gentlemen, I give you the flag! and we're uh, in the amazing, what well, used to be the Lord Moon, but it's now called the Horse and Guardsman, which is not very appropriate for a bunch of Air Force guys. But I've got with me one of my favourite old navs, CJ Smith, who we used to fly with a lot in the old days. And I'm talking a long time ago. CJ, lovely to see you. It's, yeah, it's lovely to meet you as well. It's the first time I've seen you in many, many years. Absolutely brilliant. You've been recounting some of our favourite stories together. Have you got another one you could tell? Only one. Only uh, one. As many as you want. <laughs> well, I do remember we, used, we both lived in married quarters, and I do remember one particular event when it was a Friday night and uh, everybody went to the officer's mess on a Friday night for happy hour. And you would uh, have a few beers to relax after, after, <laughs> after a, a hard, hard week, week after, yeah. uh, or not as the case may be. And um, we came home one particular night, absolutely uh, relaxed, very relaxed. This wasn't the one with you on the back of my bike, was it? No, no, oh, that's okay. a different one. <laughs> I can tell you about that if you like. But anyway, we came back, and as I said, 
we lived about two or three doors apart. The first garden we got to was my garden, and we ended up on my front lawn, basically wrestling each other. <laughs> At which point, my wife came out, and Jilly came out, and it was a case of, for God's sake, just sort yourselves out. So I, I was summoned back into my house with my lovely wife, and you went home to Jilly, oh. and I have no idea what happened after that. I'd best not talk about it. Have you got any flying stories? Yes, I do remember being out in the North Sea on some random exercise, and we found some United States Air Force F-111s pretending <laughs> to attack the UK. We intercepted them, and towards the end, we were chasing them to try to close down the range between us and them as they closed on the UK. All very exciting. We eventually got into firing range, and I can't remember whether we fired or not, but I do remember thinking, we must be out of fuel by now. <laughs> so at some point, we pulled up and said, we got to go home. Nick, because of his general air picture, which was occasionally weak, <laughs> said, we've got to go to Turnhouse. We've got to go to Turnhouse. And I said, no, no, no. We have enough fuel to get back to Lucas, which is where we were based. So he said, oh, okay, CJ. And um, we eventually went back to went back to Lucas. So the air defences, Nick will probably tell you. Yeah, blue on blue, they shot us down. That's brilliant, CJ. Uh, it must be years since I've seen you, Nick. You know, living in Australia and all that sort of stuff. But but uh, yeah, keep your Facebook page going, and um, I still tune. I tune into it all the time. Thank you very much for that. Timmy, tell Hello, us, my darling, tell us what you're doing here. I've come to meet the greatest bunch of chaps and chapesses I've ever known who have flown or have been associated with one of the most magnificent aircraft the Royal Air Force has ever had. Not too many people are falling over. What more do you want? And it's only about sort of half past six in the evening. So do Quite, you're quite right. Now, what is your favourite memory of the Phantom? I'm not allowed to say because this is public. All right, what's, what's, your, what's your second favourite memory? Enjoying the flying, Nick, to be quite honest. That's the important thing. The whole, even when I was a complete bag of crap uh, in the back seat, the best thing was just flying with, in the Phantom. Behind, even sometimes the guys who had no idea what they were doing. There were plenty of those around, I'm sure. I couldn't possibly comment, as you're one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Thanks, and back to you in the studio, Jeff. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. Oh, I'm sorry. There's a, the noise is down now. Yes, I know. I was hoping to shout a long way to get to uh, you here uh, over oh, there in America from uh, that pub. Yeah, that makes sense. Some great characters, oh, yeah. uh, some lovely stories. None of them were true. I so. wrestling on the front lawn. <laughs> Yeah, wrestling on the front line. No, we was, need to hear more a, about that. I want to have Jilly's. Jilly's. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 many of these stories that uh, these <laughs> guys reminded me of, I, uh, yeah, I have no idea what I'm talking about. But there you go. Uh, memory is a wonderful thing.
Mm -hmm. uh, no, there were some lovely people there, and it was good fun. So that was uh, definitely uh, a, a, a wonderful event to go to, and uh, um, hopefully I'll be back again next year, and uh, they'll all still be alive, and we'll all still... And we'll have some more fun then. But I'll tell you what was really nice was catching up with one uh, of the navigators who I didn't really remember very well. But he singled me out and um, reminded me that we had flown together. When I was pretty experienced on the Phantom and I'd ended up on the um, – I'd done the QY course, the weapons instructors course, and I was about to be posted to Australia – I had a, a gap of a few months, and I worked for the, uh, you know, the operational conversion unit, um, flying and training uh, navigators. And um, he said I was on a course uh, then, uh, you know, as an ab initio navigator learning to fly the Phantom. And he said I was about to be chopped off the course because I was really struggling to do a particular type of attack, um, a pulse Doppler search um, stern conversion. Um, and and it, it is difficult because um, pulse Doppler is a funny radar mode um, that is hard to interpret. And he said, I, I flew a couple of trips with you, and he said all of a sudden it became clear to me what I was trying to achieve and he said, from then on, I had absolutely no worries about doing this. And I passed the course. And he said, I, I put that down to flying with you. And I was really touched. All these years later, he still remembers that trip or those trips we did together. And I'm just very sorry to say, Herbie, that I had absolutely no recollection of doing that. But I really appreciated um, meeting up with Herbie again and hearing his story and to know that I might have had some small effect on his his Air Force career. That was fantastic, uh, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, but that was it. That was, that's been my week. Uh, more, more eventful than most, uh, and um, hopefully next week uh, with the other talk and other things. Does Nick want to talk about his cover art as well. while he's talking All now? Right. Um, yeah, that might be a good idea. I know we're, we're, we haven't covered everybody yet, but uh, since you're – in the midst of uh, telling us what's been happening, uh, why don't we talk about the cover art uh, that you uh, lovingly created for our last episode? Um, <laughs> um, well, wow. Well, we had a lot of material, didn't we? Yeah, we did. We had um, squirrels with uh, um, testicles stuck, uh, and we had um, uh, airplanes flying into masts because mm -hmm. of wasp attacks. Uh, and uh, they all came together. <laughs> yeah. In, uh -huh. um, and, you know, you were yeah, you were so wasp. concerned about the wasp, and I can see now why you were concerned, because uh, it <laughs> yeah. looks like it didn't fare very well with that antenna. Well, yeah, I was a bit more concerned about you and your laptop, uh, whether your, um, what, that's your me? nuts would be. <laughs> well, Wait a minute. You're the only person I can think of. <laughs> well, you look. You've got your headphones on, and uh -huh. you've got your APG uh, laptop, uh -huh. Uh -huh. Jeff, and yeah. you've got your thumb up. Okay, Here's the thumbs up. There's, a, there's another chipmunk looking <laughs> pretty go. lovely. I can at see. You, Jeff. I can see the light just now. Yeah. Okay. Um, and of course, you're being ooh. admired by the ladies behind because wow. of exactly. your sizable nuts. <laughs> oh, yes, I've been. <laughs> Gathering them for the winter. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> yeah, of course you have, yes. 
Yeah, nice all big right. acorns. Now, what's uh, what's all this uh, this riding up here? A ballsy maneuver, maneuver. What uh, what's going on there? Well, there you go. I didn't. I thought if I put uh, English maneuver, you you and your strange language over there wouldn't understand it. Ah. So I I did it in English, and like then I American. did it in what Yeehaw! you politely Yeehaw call ease. English, but mm-hmm. isn't English. But uh-huh. there you go. He's such a kind nice person, isn't he? <laughs> He's very caring. Very. <laughs> I'm <laughs> very thoughtful. Yes, I'm pretty Absolutely. sure it comes from the French. Uh, word, yeah, I don't think it's uh, an English maneuver. word at all. I don't know for sure. <laughs> yeah. No, so uh, I think we stick to our roots a little more, the yeah. root of the word, and you completely pulverized it. I don't know what. Right. Well, you know what? I'm thinking. I'm. I don't think this is worth fighting a war over. Really. No. Oh yeah. We, uh, we, yeah. we streamlined it. Yeah, it was more aerodynamic our way. Right. Uh, actually, I've just finished reading the book about uh, Hamilton, and uh, you guys have got a lot to answer for when it comes to dealings with the French. Whoa. <laughs> okay. Moving on. I'll say no more. Okay. <laughs> we keep well, politics Nick out Camacho. of this show. We try. <laughs> Nick Camacho, how have you been, sir? Good. Uh, my life has been uh, mostly overtaken by trying to finish up uh, the AMP stuff, which we've chatted about multiple times in the past, I uh, did pass the final uh, written that was required at the end of last week, and so uh, now am preparing for uh, the practical. So it's just like taking a, it's just like getting a flying rating. You got to take a written test and then a practical test, which includes. Um, an oral and then an oral exam and then basically a, uh, I don't know, display of your capabilities. So in the case of a, of an AMP, it'll be going into a hangar or a lab with a designated maintenance examiner. And, um, after the oral, uh, then we will, he'll start pointing at things and telling me to do various tasks, whether it's, time of magneto or safety wire return buckle and i have to be prepared to accomplish those tasks in a manner that is acceptable to him so looking forward to getting that done and getting it all behind me yeah paying close attention to the way you uh, the style that you use in uh, your wrench work yep that kind of thing yeah yep okay. the quality i quality uh the quality I take to twist my wires. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. The radius of the twist does is it, very important. As, as I said, it, yeah. as long as you remember, you know, righty, tighty, lefty, loosey, you'll be fine. That was the best <laughs> advice I got uh, before doing mine. And uh, it stuck with me all these years. And uh, believe it or not, I use it every day. Uh, they're not <laughs> aviation related. So, uh, <laughs> Are you saying in order to pass this test, you have to get your wires twisted? Uh Yeah. If it's your safety wires, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, you don't want to get your safety wires twisted with all the other wires, surely. No, well, no, no. You yeah, got your safety keep wires twisted <laughs> with each other. And then you're... Oh, you're going to twist your safety wires into the other safety yeah, wires. Yeah. yeah. I'm confused. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you are. Well, maybe it's, maybe, it's best we, maybe it's best we keep the riches away from you. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> Fair that is... Fair that enough. is that is not an uncommon <laughs> attitude to have towards some pilots that I've met. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's true. 
Fair enough. Some of them can handle the wrenches with the best of them, and some of them you're just like, eh, stay in the cockpit. That's where you belong. I've had a hernia. I know what a wrench is like. (laughs) (laughs) And you've had some hangovers, right? Yeah. Um, (laughs) Well, yeah, that too. Yes, that's true. You know what a wrench is like as well. Um, Any dates uh, set yet for uh, the practical? No. So I'm still trying to work that out. So the the big thing that I did not take into account is – I have to go take this in like a lab setting. So there's three or four designated maintenance examiners in Wichita. And we have a, you know, we have a pretty significant uh, AMP school here, um, WSU Tech, which is where we'll go test. But I I didn't think about the fact that um, with school going on, they can only test on the weekends, or at least the guy that I've made contact with can only test on the weekends. So I was hoping to, like turn around and get this thing knocked out in the next week or two. But, um, he's already pretty full through the rest of the year. So we're trying to, um, wedge, uh, a couple of days in his schedule somewhere where the, uh, testing facility at the school is free, uh, and he's free. And, um, and it's a, an about 12 hour endeavor. So a day and a half. Um, so, hmm. Yeah, Jeez, are that's you going to do a the, D uh, check on your own or something? Well, yeah, I know. That's, <laughs> I, I went into it and said, well, what day do you want to do this? And he said, uh, Days. well, let's let's get one thing sorted out right up front. This is going to take more than one day, so figure out which one you want to do first, and we'll start with that. <laughs> so, yeah. I thought a D check was around 50,000 man hours. I'm a pretty well, efficient this- worker, Nick. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you, under, you underestimate me. <laughs> Remember that, that wrench work is, is a master. Yeah. Oh, golly, yes, yeah. Many hands make wrench work. Yeah, so, so yeah, four hours for a uh, general test, four hours for an airframe test, and four hours for a power plant test. And I think it's looking like I'll do the general and airframe on the first day and then pick up the power plant whenever it's available. Cool. Well, good luck. Yeah. Let us know when it happens. Yeah, keep us apprised. I'll phone the FAA myself and (laughs) make sure they look after you. Yeah. All right. Uh, For me, I'll try to make it quick. Uh, Sang a lot over the... I want to hear from Brent. (laughs) Well, we're going to get to Brent here in a second. Uh, (laughs) It's going to take a long time because this is the first time he's been on the show. So he's got to tell us. That's pretty much his whole life, life story. in the beginning years of <laughs> catch up <laughs> uh did some singing over the uh, weekend as i normally do and uh out um monday morning for this trip that we're on and um let's see we overnight it was a long day yesterday um for us anyway uh went to uh, dayton ohio and back and then uh ended up in um des moines des moines, des moines, des moines. iowa yeah snowy at, at, des moines um uh, yeah, about uh, what did you say? About one o'clock in the morning, uh, when you looked out the window, it was already snowing and snowed uh, continuously, <clears throat> including the entire time that we were. Um, I actually went out there and pre-flighted an airplane in snow. Wow! It was cold too. What a guy! Windy. Yeah, yeah, that's the kind of guy. I, am. Um, I always said I would question the judgment of the <laughs> captain that would pre-flight, that they would do a walk around in. 
that kind of weather. I don't. I, I, I was out there when I was out there in the middle of it. I was I was questioning my. I'm sure my he's questioning his well. judgment a lot. But then you know I fly. I end up flying with you a lot. So you know there you go. Where where is my it judgment? Was, I don't know. He was just making sure the prop straps weren't on. So uh, yeah, yeah I was saying, pretty sure I didn't miss any of those. Um, anyway, so we did that. We're we're on track for like an on time departure, and we actually. I think we pushed back on time. Uh, and then five, five so we, minutes early. Yeah, a little bit early, maybe. And we were pushing back, and we're on the backside of this terminal, and they got all these taxiway closures. And the only way that you can get around the other side of the terminal, which is where, for whatever reason, because they have a de ice pad on the other side of the runway, like three different positions where it seems like it'd be a really good place to de ice, since it's called the de ice pad. Mm. But apparently, the company that we use for this. Uh, they don't like to drive over that that way, I guess, and so they want to do it on the other side of the um, of the terminal or the concourse. And with okay, well, we can so we're going to start up. We're going to make it around the other term side of the terminal, do our de-icing procedure, get out of here, and get to Atlanta. We're probably still going to be early, and they were ready for us over there on the other side of the concourse. As far as we know, we couldn't see it because we were stuck on the side that we started because right when we were about to start our engines the uh we noticed there's an atr that's pushed back and we haven't heard anything on it. we we're required to call for clearance for pushback and we received it never heard a thing from this airplane did he they didn't call anybody they they push back all of a sudden we see a de-ice truck go right up to it and we're going uh so we got on ground control and said uh is there any way for us to are we gonna have to wait for them to de-ice to get around, yeah, there's no all the taxiway closures. You're just going to have to wait for them to finish. So, had to make a bunch of PAs. Well, folks, we're, I, we're, towers trying, our ground controls trying to communicate with them. They're not talking to anybody. They didn't receive clearance to push back or de-ice or anything. And then finally, they finished the de-ice procedure, both type one, which is de-icing, and then anti-icing the uh, type four uh, protective uh, layer. And then they. Didn't do anything. We kept waiting for them to make themselves cargo cowboys. You know, uh, yeah, cargo cow. Well, actually, they were. Uh, it was a passenger flight, I believe. Oh, I thought um, it was cargo. Because it was off the out of the. Yeah, and um, so um, we wait and wait, and I asked ground control. I said, "Are you communicating with them?" No. Okay. Do you, is there any other way for us to get? Nope. Got to wait for them. I don't know how. I mean, it seemed like forever. There was nothing. We kept waiting for, to see the propeller start spinning. Nothing. I don't know what they were doing. Maybe eating breakfast. Not you sure. forgot the keys. That's um, clearly what happened. Um, that could be. Uh, it could be what happened. Anyway, uh, so they finally got the thing started, and they and then uh, all of a sudden, hey, ground, uh, we just pushed off. Of, you know, you didn't just push. That was like 20, 30 <laughs> minutes ago. And uh, I was kind of getting irritated, thinking, you know, you need to. You need to be aware of what's going on and the Situational fact that you're blocking awareness. people and, and get clearance to do things. You know, that's kind of the way this works in this airline world. Anyway, so we finally got to our position and I don't know, there were probably some other issues involved, but uh, it took forever for them to, you know, I think this was probably the first de-icing that they had to do at this, at this airport. So um, in total, how late were a, you leaving? We, it was about an hour, uh, mm -hmm. a total um, uh, hour bad. late. About an hour and a half. Now. An hour and a half by the time, and so we were actually arriving about about an hour uh, you made past up our half scheduled arrival time. Yeah, we made up some time. Didn't anybody read this this 
aircraft they riot act i mean didn't ground ever go at them or at no least the i tower? was kind of expecting that uh, i mean our pushback oh, driver said yeah we're gonna have to talk to the airport just when about you that. need uh, yeah just when you need a jfk controller <laughs> there's not one there i know we really could have used one of those oh. guys uh, and you know it, it only, nice it, not only affected us but then we ended up going and blocking other people so i mean they held people pushing back because they knew that we needed to get back around over the it, it i mean how many how many different flights do you think that affected i don't know five or six yeah at least probably yeah it was a mess and i did say i i i kind of bit my tongue until at some some point i just kind of said you know you guys need to listen to the radios and that's all i said <laughs> I don't think they probably even heard me they say They didn't it. hear you because they weren't listening yeah, to Yeah, they probably didn't hear me. <laughs> 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 nice one, Brad. It, it, right, right. it takes a lot to get me upset. Brett knows this. I don't really get upset easily. And I was kind of like, oh, come on. This is ridiculous. But, okay. Anyway. This was kind of short this morning, wasn't it? Too? Yeah. Anyway. So we got we finally got back on track. We had a built-in uh, turnaround time in Atlanta uh, that worked out pretty well. So we were able to get to our next jet um you know on time and out of there on time and we arrived here a few minutes early so oh. all's well but uh, that was our de-icing experience mm-hmm. at des moines I love yeah, it. adventure. it's such fun just wait it? till we see the snow here in jackson in the morning and oh. try to what is it supposed to be <laughs> snow here too uh well you know this is not our first um di we were just talking about this this morning i think we actually had to de-ice in chattanooga like last month uh, for some reason, I think it was it was just like a little bit of dew, like frost. frost on there, just a tiniest little layer. But you know, the clean airplane uh, surfaces, you know, program. Uh, so yeah, we had to do it anyway. So, um, okay, Brent, yeah. what's then, Brent uh, been up to? Brent, so what have you been up to lately? Been up to lately? Yeah. How far back do you want me to go? Uh, well, let's skip your childhood. <laughs> Fast forward. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so let's say uh, Brett and I we used to fly a lot on the uh, on the Mad Dog, and he actually flew more years on it than I did. I think you said t- nineteen hour, uh, nineteen years. Yeah, nineteen halves. Like oh that. wow! Uh, you started in Dallas. You were living in the Dallas, or you're commuting to Dallas. You commuting were to Dallas, Louisiana. right? <clears throat> um, After nine eleven, came to Atlanta. When did you get on it? I got on uh, the two thousand two. Yeah, because I was on the 727 during 9-11, and then that's when I got displaced, like spring of the next year. It seems like around 2004, 2005, we probably first flew together. Yeah. And off and on quite a bit. Yeah. Definitely the most flown with captain that I have flown with. Aww. And it's the most flown captain I've ever flown with, too. You oh, are, yeah, yourself. Fine, fine with myself. <laughs> um, yeah, but favorite. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know what's what's really nice uh, flying with Brent um, is that it's it's just like we're all like an like, not exactly, uh, like an old married couple because you know we fly w- with each other all the time. He, you know, we kind of finish each other's sentences sort of in an aviation procedural way. So he uh, he knows what to expect from me, which is not much. And uh, I know what I can expect from him, which is most of everything. And uh, it works out well for me. And uh, we, we uh, have a good time. And, nice uh, comment no from I-Hall surprises. Boxes here. Uh, I-Hall Boxes say, I must say that after years of watching this show, it would finally instill some trust in me seeing these two guys sitting together in the cockpit when entering an Acme aircraft. Oh, well, thank you. That's nice. I uh, 
that's Excellent. very nice to say. Now, I've just got a question. Considering Brent does all the work, who gets paid the most? <laughs> well, he flies a lot and picks up a lot of overtime <laughs> flying, so I don't know. That might be debatable. Uh, but probably, oh, <laughs> probably me. This guy's a master of uh, scheduling and picking up things and dropping things, and it's a, it's pretty amazing. I've learned a lot. He's a str uh, strategist Brent regarding that, and uh, yeah, so uh, he's uh, he's rel he's pretty senior, number three, I guess, on your seat, right? Number three, uh, and uh, I'm number one, so that's why we uh, you know end up flying a lot together, and we like flying the same types of trips. And uh, yeah, you better be on your retirement way. flight. Yeah. Well. Well, that's great. I don't know when my retirement Very flight's nice. going to be, Liz. It may uh, I might I might be on vacation for my retirement flight. <laughs> 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 well, it's supposed to be a mini vacation. You realize that? Yeah. Don't you? Yeah. You, you grab the company credit card and have a splurge. I don't know. Have you ever seen a company credit card? I have not seen. Have not I've either. heard a lot about it. Yeah, we don't see it. Oh, God. No. You, you, know. <laughs> you guys got to join the long haul outfit. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the long haul guys oh, yeah. have credit cards. I don't know. Yeah, the Des Moines flight was a long oh, yeah. haul for us. That's yeah. I mean, was, that's how bad it is for us. It's like we look at the schedule and go, oh, my God. We have to fly from Atlanta to Des Moines. The flying time is what? One hour One and 45, hour 45 minutes. minutes. <laughs> oh, man, how are we going to do that? I don't know. Oh, Knock us out right now. Well, it's great Have the flight attendants check on, on us show. several times. Thanks for being yes, on it is great show. having Brent on the show. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I talk about him all the time. And uh, and I'm glad that he, he's probably going, yeah, I never want to do this again. This is like, <laughs> I see him looking at his watch a lot. Oh, man, he's hungry. Cool. Yeah, it's like too much like hard work. Okay, coffee yeah. fun time. Okay, coffee fun time. Thanks, Brent. Well, and, thank you. Uh, thank you. Anything else to me. add or subtract? No, we haven't eaten any barbecue in the last few weeks. Though. Oh yeah, you're right. We've uh, well, been, you were cheating uh, on him out there out. in Texas. So. Oh yeah, don't tell. Don't oh, tell so him the about constipation stopped now. Then. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Let's uh, see if we can hit the old uh, coffee fun. And I know that Brent has a great voice, so he, but he doesn't know how this goes. So. Johnny, how much more coffee? He gets Go a bang. reprieve. I love coffee, I love tea, I love the ABG community, coffee and tea, and the job and me, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, oh yeah, coffee fun, I get to, this is really why I do the show every week, Brent, I get to sing, the coffee fund, the coffee fund, uh, coffee bar, coffee cadre, what do we call it, the Java coffee. Jive. APG coffee. F I don't know what the, the heck coffee bar club. Anyway, I'm running out of time now. Okay. A uh, couple of different ways to support the show financially via the coffee fund. One is the coffee fund classic method, which is uh, usually used for people who want to make a one time or every once in a while uh, donation to our show. And Mazus Karim again comes in with a very nice, generous Yahoo. contribution. Thank you, Mazutz. And um, I believe we had somebody also uh, give us a very, very nice um, contribution to the OG uh, Coffee Fun Classic, but uh, didn't have time to include you. So you'll be on the next show. 
you fine coffee fun cadre person you uh, another way to do it is to become a patron of the show via patreon no new patrons this week but we had a bunch of new ones from uh, our last show so thank you very much if you want to learn more about how you can join the coffee fun cadre please head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee you'll be glad you did we will too i think rickster and nixter are taking a break yeah, we have uh, we're, we have some missing we're a little in light on the crew side. Uh, <laughs> we are light on, on the crew side. <laughs> on that note, Jeff, I think I'm going to have to bail out here. Understood. Okay. Unless yeah. you have well, thanks for joining you us have for as long one as or two feedbacks you want me to do, but I look through them and nah. I don't think I nothing, have any relevant. Specific. Okay. Okay. He's, yeah, well, you need to be uh, go do some He's stuff pulling with your the shoot on his Cirrus. All right. All right. Pulling the shoot, <laughs> pulling the shoot on this on your Cirrus, uh, Liz is saying. Yeah. Cap system engaged. <laughs> yeah, it's good to see you, Brent. It's the big red uh, button that says endeavors. in broadcast, right? Just kicks me out. No, 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 uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, but that's not the way you do it. Stop it. Uh, are you sure that's not? <laughs> well, yes, we are sure. <laughs> Please, that's going to make so much extra work for me. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't All let right. him do it. I'll see you guys later. Bye. All right, Nick. Good to see you. All the best, Nick. <laughs> So All Jeff, right, um, we definitely want to start with number three for Rick because we want to cover it while he's on the show. And then there were three. What happened to Rick? Um, and I, we also want yeah, to do. He's, oh, he's just gone for a while. We also want okay, to do yeah. uh, Radio Rogers one for Nick. He wanted to make sure Nick uh, Anderson was on for that one. So three and okay. um, fifteen for sure. Okay, Liz is giving me. Um, uh, direction. Uh, Other than that, just uh, carry on. Um, looks like um, the. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm bumping your headphone headset cord. <laughs> sorry, Brent. Uh, Liz is saying uh, let's do. Probably start off with um, three. Unless, uh, unless you want to go to number fifteen one. now and do it with with Nick Anderson because that's. Yeah, that's that is the first. Okay. Uh, yeah, we could do that. Uh, do you need to take a physiological break? at all i'm okay for it now okay yeah, me too but we might have to do that soon. you just got about a little over okay. an hour till the end well if you guys can do an hour 45 on one flight without having to go to the that loo, was that's tough pretty good i had i i, I came <laughs> running out of the cockpit to go to the bathroom both of us did but we took turns let's okay let's do um, radio roger to start no, okay let's, uh, we're gonna jump to number 15 <laughs> Captain, incoming message. Let's start with this audio feedback from Radio Roger. He says, uh, hi, Liz. I've attached feedback on a subject I've been meaning to address for a long time since I've done a lot of research on it. Also, I've attached a photo and included a link to things I reference. My only request is that you play it when Nick is present since he talked about this and seems pretty familiar with the subject. Thanks. Radio. No. Roger. <laughs> that was Radio Roger and just became Radio. Do you like your new name, Roger? That's a nice name, actually. Radio. All right. So yeah. uh, let's go ahead and play Radio Roger's audio feedback. Here we go. Greetings, everybody. I've finally gotten around to offering feedback to a discussion in episode 527 about people flying jetpacks near LAX. I've been fascinated by these flying packs and seeing a demonstration in my youth. Nick talked about these devices being used in a James Bond movie. 
he did make one small error. The original devices, including the one flown by 007, were rocket packs, not jets. They contained their own oxygen. Built by Bell, and have attached a photo, it was called the Bell Rocket Belt, not pack. It was elegant in its simplicity. There were three tanks. The outer two contained highly concentrated hydrogen peroxide, far more potent than what you'd buy in a pharmacy. The center tank contained liquid nitrogen, which did nothing more than push the peroxide out of their tanks into a series of silver meshes, which acted as a catalyst, breaking down the hydrogen peroxide into oxygen and superheated steam, which provides the propulsion. Nick was correct in saying that the device couldn't fly more than 30 seconds, limiting its use to demonstration flights. Later, Bell developed a jet belt, which could fly for half an hour. But unlike the rocket belt, which had almost no moving parts, jet engines are filled with turbines, which are subject to failure and would not be survivable for the pilot. I suspect that risk is minimized by newer models, which have multiple engines providing redundancy. Even so, knowing what an uncontained jet failure can do to a plane's fuselage and wings I wouldn't want those engines strapped to my body. One final and I assume safer alternative, several companies have manufactured water rocket packs. I've attached a link to a video of one. They're meant for flying over bodies of water. A hose attaches them to a floating water pump which trails below the pilot and the pump sends the water out the nozzles on the pilot's back. It looks a bit like the old Bell rocket belt. I'd love the chance to fly one of those someday. Well, now you know more than you ever wanted to about personal propulsion. I'm Radio Roger, over and out. we uh, He's our personal propulsion man, mm-hmm. Radio Roger. Um, I've seen those. Um, we'll have a link to that um, video. water jetpack thing uh, video in the show notes. But I've seen those, and it looks like they have like a jet ski motor or something like that on their back. I don't know. Uh, looks pretty, pretty intense um, and a lot of fun. Yeah, the amount of uh, water pressure they'd need to lift the hose, the guy, and the equipment uh, is incredible. Uh, you know, you don't think there must be a very powerful uh, engine on that um, water ski to pump that amount of water. But that's that's impressive. And they do fantastic, um, almost aerobatics uh, with them. Very good. They don't just hover around uh, looking boring. They, they're really very good. But uh, I, I just note that the um, the jet, 007 jetpack that um, Roger talked about with the picture, that used the same principle as the X-15 I talked about uh, a couple of shows ago. Um, because uh, when the X-15 uh, reached its maximum altitude, it was effectively in outer space and aerodynamic controls didn't work. So they had to have uh, reaction jets and uh, using uh, hydrogen peroxide and uh, oxygen were, um, was the, the solution that NASA came up with to power these uh, uh, reaction jets, which he's quite correct, uh, effectively produces st- um, very high uh, temperature steam, which is a um, very efficient way of um, powering them. Unless it hits your leg. Yeah. That can be Yowch. very painful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Uh, luckily, in the X-15, you're in a cockpit, but yeah. these, these blokes, I noticed that's probably why they've got so much insulation around the um, the actual nozzles so that you don't accidentally um, bump into one and 
Yeah. Would not be Get, good. End up getting uh, cooked. But 30 seconds, that doesn't not give you much. a lot of time to do much with those no. things. That's what she said. I don't know. <laughs> most I was going to say most people just only enough take time to smoke a cigarette, seconds, I guess. So, <laughs> so uh, that's actually yeah, giving, you, okay. giving you a lot of spare no. time there. Let's, uh, okay. Back to number nice. three. Now, where you guys are going? All right, number three. This is for Rick. Uh, we just have just tell Rick that. we covered this oh. before, but then he's okay. Yeah, Rick, uh, we covered uh, <laughs> JJ. P- JJ Pittsburgh on, Jeff, uh, sent us you know some better. audio feedback, um, <laughs> and we played it on our last show. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I was the wrong person to ask. Um, you'll understand why. Uh, but we decided, you know what, we need to uh, play this again when Rick is on the show. So here you go. This is from JJ Pittsburgh. Greetings, APG crew. It's JJ Pittsburgh here. I just stepped out of the gym, and I was thinking about it. For all the commercial pilots in the crew, when you're out on the road on trips, what is your normal workout routine if you do have any? Um, I was curious about that because you know me at this point. One hour. I do so many road trips that I generally just will hit up the local Planet Fitness um, because there's locations pretty much everywhere. They're kind of like a Starbucks at this point. They're like on every corner. So, which is great. So any city I'm in, um, I could hop into the gym and get my, you know, blood flowing. Cause once again, I am like sitting in the car a lot on these trips and it's nice to kind of like, you know, just keep moving whenever I'm in a certain location. So I was curious about that cause you guys are cooped up in the cockpit on these trips. Thought you might hit up the gym and I was curious about that. Or maybe you just hit up the, uh, hotel gym. So anyway, I was just thinking about that. Another little tidbit of um, life for an airline pilot and inquiring minds want to know. So anyway, hope all is doing well. Um, As for me, I'm just plugging along, working on some of my music stuff. I look forward to sharing that with you guys whenever we work it out. Me and my buddy Doug are working on some stuff. So I'm going to have quite a setup coming up and... uh, you know, heck, maybe maybe I'll write a uh, song about Dr. Steph. Who knows? Anyway, um, peace and love, peace and love. Peace and love. And what was that, a Cat 15 that we were listening to in the background? I think he may be uh, in a, some kind of a diesel pusher. That was a, sounded like a huge engine, didn't it? You know, yeah. Brent's our engine guy. What do, you, what do you think? What kind, yeah, what, what kind uh, of engine was that? Quite, quite, quite the compression ratio. Noisy one. I, think, yeah. uh, I just thought he had bad indigestion. <laughs> no, I think it was an actual <laughs> motor, uh, automobile. That's anyway. my stomach growling because I'm so hungry. Oh, that was you because you're so hungry. <laughs> oh, okay. I get it. Hand, hand, hand. I'll probably have to buy you dinner yeah. for being on the show, don't I? <laughs> um, didn't think At this least. through. Yeah. Okay, um, Rick. So, Rick. Uh, <laughs> Rick, um, so what? What? What's your um, what, what do you do? I know you. I. I, I said yes, I'm the wrong person to ask, and Brent is too. <laughs> we what we do don't do? really work out on trips or ever. Um, we go for but, walks. Um, we go. I go for walks every now and then. I walk downstairs to the lobby and I'm back. Yeah, a walks is good. I mean, you, like as as long as yeah, down, down the hall <laughs> to the you know, to the back. ice machine and back. You know? uh, I walk. You know, I walk to the stairs and I look at him and I go, "Now nah, I'll take the elevator." Um, 
But uh, Rick, you're you're kind of our fitness guy. So uh, <laughs> what do you what do you have to say about that? Well, I mean, I would wouldn't say I'm the fitness guy, but I try to. You know, it's 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 the little things. We're joking about the elevator versus the first stick in the stairs, and it's the little things that really count. Um, try to stay uh, try to stay moving. Really, the way, and the way I do it is. Um, I try to um, I try to work out at least five times a week. I'll do um, three days on, day off, and then two days on, one day off, uh, and and I'll, sometimes I'll do six times a week. But I'll but I'll, I'll give myself at least a day off a week uh, from from working out. And as for and uh, when I'm on the road, I tend to. Um, <laughs> I tend to uh, well, not not quite three, uh, only two and a half. Uh, I hold so I'm, I'm working my way up to three, seven, six, seven bench presses. Um, but anyway, um, I um, I tend to use the uh, the hotel gym a lot, really, because it's uh, you 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 really don't need a lot. Um, and um, you know, if if you just you just need a bench uh, and 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 some free weights, um, it's it's nice to have. Um, it's nice to have some resistance bands if, if you can if you can pack um, one or two with you. That's what I did uh, during COVID because all all, all gyms, uh, hotel gyms, and uh, and other types of gyms were closed. So I would uh, I would work out in my room using resistance bands and uh, and and my own body weight. Um, really, your own body weight is is is, is really you know, all all you need. You can do a lot with just your own body weight. You know, from from push ups to um, to uh, upside down pushups or military presses, where you you know you go up against the wall and you and you and you push yourself up off the floor and do several reps of that, and then you know you, you got your lunges and your squats and all that and all that stuff using just your own body weight. The idea is to keep your is to get your uh, your heart rate up to a certain point where um, you um, you you burn the the calories required to keep you at a certain whatever your whatever your weight um you know your your, your target weight is and it's and it's simple math if you burn more than you eat then you're going to lose weight if you are if your intake is the same as your as your output then you 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 maintain and if you if you if you're not burning as much as you're as you should then you're obviously going to gain weight another thing that I do is um and I've been doing this for 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 a few years now it's called intermittent fasting Basically, what that means is that I give myself a uh, uh, an eaten window. Basically, it's called. So, um, personally, um, I I have I give myself six hours in a twenty four hour period to eat. Um, and the idea behind that is that you are uh, basically forcing your body to go into its into its fat reserves and to burn that for energy. Um, keeping your body, uh, your, your, your weight down. And also another thing that I do is I, I never, um, uh, I never eat before working out. So I'll, uh, I'll always make sure that I'll put in a good, you know, a good run and a good uh, gym session before going and, and, and eating. Now, the reason behind, the reason behind that is I like to drink beer a lot and I like, <laughs> and I like, uh, I like to eat, you know, and I, I don't like to, uh, have to pick and choose what to eat and what not to eat based on a diet. And so by, by giving myself that six hour window, I can, and as long as I've exercised, I can, I can basically eat whatever I want and obviously in, in, in moderation. So that's kind of what I do, you know, just, just stay yourself, just stay, uh, stay mobile, stay active. Um, and you don't have to, um, 
you know, just the, the best thing you can do is really listen to your body. If your body is, if, if, if your body's telling you to, to telling you that you're tired then sleep, if it's telling you that you're hungry, eat, if you are doing, you know, some kind of workout and it starts hurting, obviously stop. So, uh, it's just common sense stuff really. Um, and there's a lot of really good resources online as far as, um, uh, you know, not only pilots, but people that, that, that do this, you know, uh, parallel with their, whatever their career is. Uh, and, and I can, you know, it can provide you that can provide you, uh, you know, better information that I have here. Um, but just, just, you know, All keep right. moving keep it simple. Um, I haul boxes is giving some advice uh, about, you know, what your, um, max heart is it max heart rate or your best heart rate for, uh, doing, um, aerobic. good exercise or your zone or whatever aerobic uh, heart rate. Anyway, uh, he says, uh, we have to verify it with staff. Uh, mm. your max heart rate is 90% of 200 minus your age. Mm-hmm. So let's see for me, it'd be, be 190, 900. Is it right? Did <laughs> I do that right? No. Um, actually my age is 62, 63. How old am I? 63. That leaves 37, uh, 137, 90% of 137 is what quick Brent, come on. <laughs> uh, anyway, 122. I don't know. Somewhere. Okay. I don't have a calculator. Here, I can do this. Watch. 124. 0.9 times what? Uh, 137. 137 equals 123. You're darn close, Brent. Did I mention how smart he is? Um, Yeah. He's a good guesser. Yeah, he is. For me, it's saying it's 143. (laughs) Yeah, I said, I told um, JJ that I don't really actively do it. Um, but, um, I'd say probably, I don't know the guys you fly with Brent about maybe about 50%, maybe not quite 50% of, um, guys kind of on their layover, at least one of the layovers go out and work out. And it's usually because of the convenience. And as Rick says, most of the stuff that you really need to do a workout is going to be in a hotel gym. Uh, there are times when either the hotel doesn't have a gym or it's like, not very good at all. And they have some kind of an arrangement with like a local YMCA or fitness planet or, you know, one of the, one of the chains planet fitness. to use that. Yeah. Planet fitness too. Thanks. Liz. LA fitness. <laughs> yeah. La fitness, the uh, French La fitness, uh, yeah. workout place. La fitness. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, La fitness. Number yeah. four. Oh, we, we La fitness. Yeah. All right. Those are, those are good. Uh, I do curls with uh, you do curls six, with baguettes, uh, sixteen and ounce curls stuff. with uh, beer cans, the big cans. All right, I know it's supposed to be twelve ounce. I messed that up. Sorry. <laughs> okay, let me move on to which one list? Number four. Number four. Good idea. Oh, you know what I'm going to do though? First, Liz, mm-hmm. I'm going to jump to twelve because we should have played this right after um, Radio Rogers. Uh, talking about the subject of rockets. Okay, sure, yeah. Propulsion. Uh, This is from Alex. He says, to Captain Nick uh, and others, uh, when reading my feedback, you inquired as to if rocket fuels could be made using renewable resources. And to this, I say, absolutely they can. Sadly, that doesn't really change anything about what I said earlier about rocket engines being grossly inefficient and not working for aircraft propulsion. This is because of a weird truth of the chemistry that chemists really don't like laymen talking about. Chemists 
can make almost any chemical compound found in nature so long as you have the base elements required to assemble it. Everything from methane gas to jet fuel can be made in a lab. The issue has never been whether or not someone can create oil, gasoline, or rocket fuel. After all, the Nazis did it during World War II. Synthetic motor oils are extremely abundant today, and you can buy them at any gas station. So why aren't we doing that for jet fuel? Again, here, there are many theoretically solvable problems that I could bring up, like the cost and difficulty of efficiency making synthetic fuels at the quantities needed to support an airplane, but we don't really need to look into those because there is a single truly unsolvable problem. My father always said, there's no such thing as a free lunch. No matter how good your chemistry is, you need to get the energy that that oil or other fuel stores. Short of committing to a truly massive campaign to build nuclear power stations, more on that later, there really is no energy source available on Earth to get that energy. Yes, this includes biofuels and other trendy things that a lot of airlines are trying to pretend will solve the climate crisis. That doesn't mean we should stop experimenting with biofuels. Heck, there is energy-dense industrial farming waste that can be recycled into fuels relatively cheaply. There just isn't anywhere near enough of it. We need to acknowledge that they won't ever fully plug this hole. Now, why don't chemists want people throwing ideas like totally synthetic fuels around? Well, I theorize it's because it's a really nice talking point for hyper-nationalist agitators to try to give the false impression that a single nation can supply itself with, without energy resources from the outside. It's just too hard to explain to the layman that there is no such thing as a free lunch when someone like Adolf Hitler is giving daily speeches about total independence. The Nazis did exactly this with coal gasification in order to try to keep the war machine up and running. A very significant chunk of the wartime Nazi economy was consumed just by synthetic fuel production alone, and even they could not produce nearly as much as they needed. Mind you, coal, ca coal gasification. Let me try that again. Mind you, coal gasification isn't even a renewable fuel, since you are using coal reserves that are already storing massive amounts of energy, and you're releasing the carbon to the atmosphere. Even with that, though, the Nazis failed to keep their oil production up during the bombardment of their extremely complex and expensive coal gasification factories. With all this said, there is one way that I truly believe would, would allow modern human society to build re renewable fuels, and that is to upscale our nuclear power generation by something like 20 or to 30 times over. This is actually totally practical given, given how much uranium and fertile fuel there is on Earth. With that said, I'm not qualified to give a proper estimate on exactly how long or how much that would truly take, and I don't see the current political environment being all that open to having to build 30 times as many nuclear power stations. So for being so sorry for being such a bummer, keep the blue side up for as long as we can keep it blue. <laughs> uh, P.S. Captain Nick. Oh, no, I'm not going to no. read that on air because it tells me not to. Okay. There you go. This is from, um, again, Alex. Alex. And uh, Tim Van Ram has wow. is, is got a comment here, I think. Okay. Uh, Tim Van Ram says, oh, that's my superpower, making methane gas. Oh, <laughs> well, we have a national resource uh, in, in our live audience. <laughs> hey, absolutely fine. A national treasure yeah. there. Well, there you go. he certainly seems to know his stuff. Yeah, yeah. We went... Uh, pretty fast there from uh, 
creating biofuels to hyper-nationalist agitators. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I, I was just musing, uh, yeah. as one does, that, uh, you know, aviation fuel is pretty much um, just a poorly refined uh, um, oil pump out of the ground. I was wondering if there was an alternative that we uh, could more easily... Uh, use without depleting both the oil reserves and uh, polluting the atmosphere even more. Um, so it's great to hear so, so much uh, is being done on that subject. So I'm going to retire quietly to the background on this, and um, you know, and in the safe and the in and secure in the knowledge that there are a lot of experts out there already working in that field, and if they come across a a um, world-changing alternative i'm sure they'd have let us all know but um yeah uh, i think uh, as the oil reserves run out we're going to have to admit that if we want to continue with air travel it's going to be in a very different form and there'll be a lot less of it and it will be considerably more um expensive uh, so it'll be you know almost like going back to the early days of aviation where any of the rich and powerful and famous and governments uh, can afford to do it. Yeah. Oh, what does uh, I-Hall boxes say here? Um, the TU-95s flew nuclear-powered for a while, I think. Lucky. Swimmer yeah, Giant. I think all the, everyone on board eventually <laughs> was, was poisoned. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, poisoned well. to death. <laughs> no retirement yeah, for those I folks. I think they... they <laughs> pretty soon discover that the uh, amount of protection uh, that you could get in order to make the aircraft light enough to actually fly was so minimal that it killed everyone or eventually irradiated the people on no board. No pensions to they, pay. Uh, suffered yeah. premature yeah. Uh, death. Uh, very okay. sad. Yeah. Uh, the, you guys, uh, the Americans, uh, had a go at it as well. Um, designed it. I don't think you ever flew it, but uh, hmm. the, the Russians did. Now they they're able to do it with things like submarines, right? Um, I guess they've learned a thing or two um, over the years. Yeah, I, I I would say the submarines and nuclear powered uh, vessels they don't need to go so fast that they can stay airborne in air. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> in other words, yeah. they can just float along mm -hmm. at, at a moderate speed. Oh, having said that, most nuclear powered uh, ships and submarines can crack on at, mm -hmm. a, at a very efficient speed, but um, in comparison, um, doing it to an airplane, yeah, yeah, you need but just a fraction of what oh, yeah, an airplane. Yeah. Number four now. Well, very good. Well, thank you, Alex. Um, number four. Oh, I think is Sam st uh, Bolog. He was still in the chat room, and he's being quiet. And if, if you is. are Sam, uh, I'm still waiting for the uh, phonetic pronunciation of your last name. Haven't gotten it yet, and you had the perfect opportunity. He was there a minute ago. I know, but anyway, we're, we're going to go ahead and play his his audio feedback. I believe yep. here. Yeah, mm -hmm. and so he's giving us audio feedback, and he had every opportunity to pronounce his name. But he didn't. <laughs> Hello, Captain Jeff and crew. This is Sam from Los Angeles. I was listening to a very early episode where you discussed a flight crew being asked to help locate a sinking boat. You commended the crew for the humanity, but felt that at least one self-serving passenger would probably file a lawsuit. 
I don't think any attorney would take such a case. Or let me rephrase that. I would hope no judge or jury would side with such a moron. Being a volunteer for CAL FIRE and the OES out here, I'm protected by the Good Samaritans law. Would the law possibly apply to the crew in that situation? I realize that the law varies state by state, but they were over water at the time. Maybe there's a set of laws for aviation akin to the maritime law. If you've already followed up on this situation or event, um, I will probably see it in a later episode. Thank you for listening to my first voice feedback, and I appreciate all you guys do. I'm learning quite a bit. Well, time to go out to the garage and spend the remainder of my afternoon replacing the Svetzer valve on my turbo encapsulator. Take care. <laughs> so, do you, have you ever heard of the turbo encapsulator uh, little thing, the spiel? No. Oh, uh, okay. Well, I'll see if I can find that. Oh, he's um, going to, to hear it. That, uh, yeah, you're going to hear it now. Darn it. Um, let's see, let me do a jingle search, turbo encapsulator. And, you know, are, don't you guys agree with me, um, that Sam from Los Angeles, I guess that's what we're going to call him now since he's not telling us how to print it. Is it Bolog or Bolog? Come on. Or maybe some other thing. What do you guys think? What do you think, Lois? I think it's Bolog, I think, but I don't Bolog? know. Okay. But I don't know. Here we go. Let's see if this works. Can you hear this? It is produced yes. by the modial interaction of magneto-reluctance and capacitive directance. The original machine had a base plate of prefamulated amulite surmounted by a malleable <laughs> logarithmic casing in such a way that the two spurving bearings were in a direct line with a panometric fan. So, I mean, being the guy, the, the mechanic that you are, you kind of understand exactly what he's talking about don't you yeah that made perfect sense i knew it now that you explained it to me <laughs> I, actually i think he was talking about something that gm was like a transmission that gm came up with or something i don't know and then i think they went to town on <laughs> making things up um but it's I don't know, very entertaining it's one of our favorites of course i'm easily entertained yeah me too <laughs> Um, that explains why my front brakes keep locking. Up. Yeah, he's yeah he's got all kinds of mechanical problems with his cars, uh, but he's really a master mechanic, and he does a lot of good uh, helping people in his church, uh, you know, fix their cars and that kind of thing. He's he, I mean, like he's got a full on auto shop there at your house, don't you? Pretty close to it. Close enough. Yeah. yeah. APG yeah, discount. Too close, probably. Yeah, APG discount. Yeah, <laughs> certainly. Maybe. Bring it on over. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know. I don't. I don't it. trust him to work on my car. <laughs> um, there you go. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I do. Good Samaritan um, laws. <laughs> so the Good Samaritan laws. Um, what do you think, Captain Nick? Do you think that uh, the Good Samaritan laws would apply to that situation uh, that he was referring uh, over the 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 captain basically taking the time to aid in recovery and and rescue and you know, the, I don't remember the exact situation. Um, Searching for a lost. You, you, well, neither do I. And it will, will, of course, depend upon the situation. But uh, I think any captain that um, does a, uh, an, performs an act that uh, has the potential to save life, uh, and so long as he's not being reckless uh, in his conduct, um, is going to be protected for sure, uh, I would say, because when it comes down to it, uh, you know, you sit back and you, you weigh up the potential good against the potential harm. 
Uh, I don't think there's any guarantee of immunity from prosecution if you do something that is completely wrong. But on the other hand, I, I think that uh, international law will definitely be in your favour. And if it uh, follows the same profile as maritime law, then that will apply. All right. Did we figure out if Sam was still yeah, with well, us or not? No guess, word uh, from him, so I guess not. No word. So he, he dropped off. We not, we lost another one. Um, another one down. Um, I was going to read the very end of his uh, feedback message. He said, being uh, fairly – hang on, i got to do something here. Being fairly sure I contacted the APG syndrome – APG syndrome. It's APG syndrome. It's a real thing, Brent, and it's a terrible thing. Um, and you're in grave danger. Yes. Uh, he's got to get out. He's immune. I think okay. he's immune from hanging out with Jeff. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's hung out with me so much that he's immune to it. Uh, he says, anyway, being fairly sure I contracted the. APG syndrome. I went to see my physician after numerous tests. It was finally confirmed <laughs> during a colonoscopy. <laughs> Have a nice day. Thanks, Sam. Uh -oh. Yeah. Yeah, just what we needed to hear. Yeah, really. Uh-oh. Appreciate that. We love you, too. It's, uh, um, that's unfortunate. Okay. Now, this one's going to be yeah. tough. Um, yeah. Uh, the This uh, comedian Oh, he's uh, here. Is Sam's known. here. So oh, Sam's here. Okay. So tell yes, tell us, Sam. Tell, How do you he, pronounce your last name? Is it like B-O-W-L-O-G? Bolug. Belug? Beluga? Bolog? Bolog. I'm thinking it's Bolog or Bolog. Like a like a web blog. Come on, Sam. Yeah, I'm thinking Bolog. Yeah, we're waiting, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a 25-second delay. <laughs> I think the L is silent. In so it'll be boog. Boog. <laughs> Booge. <laughs> okay, move. You know what he's going to do? He's going to go, oh, they're all waiting for me to do something. I'm not going to do it. No. I'm just not. I refuse. So just move on, and then oh, if come he on. answers, we'll play it. Okay, Sam from Los Angeles. Yeah. I guess he wants us to call him that now. All right, uh, going back over here to this. Okay, so as I was saying, um, George Carlin, funny guy, um, he, he died a few years back, mm -hmm. didn't he? Probably yeah. some time now. Um, and uh, anyway, this is from uh, Sam. He said, uh, buenos dias, tripulation. I'm not sure what tripulation Oh, is. he's going to send us voice um, feedback with pronunciation. Oh, Sam is going to send us voice feedback with a pronunciation. Thank you, Sam. Okay. Uh, this comedy skit by George Carlin was jarred from my memory when a comment was made by a friend who's teaching me Spanish, and I'm helping her with uh, her English. We were discussing airport scenarios when she asked, why is it called a near miss when two aircraft nearly collide? I've always wondered myself and hear it on your show quite often. Can you explain why that is uh, why that is the terminology used? And I think actually Captain Nick um, made a good point about that um, in a previous a recent show. What what is it you said again about near miss? Uh, well, I replied to Sam 
um, privately by oh. email, and I copied you. Guys oh, maybe and that's so where I read it. Just read it. Ah, uh, okay. Um, yeah. it, it's a World War II um, terminology, or it might have been slightly before, uh, referring to dropping a bomb that doesn't hit its target. It, uh, a near miss was um, defined as uh, a bomb that doesn't strike the target but causes it some damage. Um, so it was transferred across probably from ex-military pilots into the civil world who, when they got close and missed someone, uh, they used the same term uh, that they had when they were referring to their bombing uh, success. That, that sounds believable. That's why I'm very skeptical. Uh, well, it's in the Merriam-Webster's dictionary. Oh, is it? Okay, well, I don't, tr <laughs> yes. I don't trust them folks either. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. No, this not Merriam. Uh -huh. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. Well, Webster's all right. <laughs> yeah, Merriam. We don't know what we're talking about. Uh, oh, Tim Van Rem tells us George Carlin died in 2008. Wow, it's been a while. Anyway, uh, so here's the deal. So those of you who have heard of George Carlin and heard some of his comedy <laughs> understand that sometimes he's pretty free with colorful language. So I'm going to try to play a little bit of something here and hopefully please um, accept my apology if one kind of makes it through uh, the audio feedback. I mean, the audio podcast will have it all censored out. Uh, and so here we're going to we're going to try it. You think it's all right to try it? Crew? Yeah, give it a shot. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, I don't no, it's care. not a lot of confidence. <laughs> yeah, they're all gone. Yeah. Sure. It's all baby. you, man. Well, yeah. When they come knocking on your door, don't blame me. <laughs> Something else we have in common flying on the airlines and listening to the airlines' announcements. And trying to pretend to ourselves that the language they're using is really English. <laughs> Doesn't seem like it to me. Whole thing starts when you get to the gate. First announcement. We would like to begin the boarding process. <laughs> Extra word, process. Not necessary. Boarding is enough. We'd like to begin the boarding. Simple, tells the story. People add extra words when they want things to sound more important than they really are. Boarding process. Sounds important. It isn't. <laughs> it's just a bunch of people getting on an airplane. People like to sound important. Weathermen on television talk about shower activity. Sounds more important than showers. I even heard one guy on CNN talk about a rain event. Swear to God. He said, Louisiana's expecting a rain event. I thought, holy shit, I hope I can get Oops. tickets to that. Emergency situation. News people like to say, police have responded to an emergency situation. No, they haven't. They've responded to an emergency. All right. We know it's a situation. All right, there we go. There's a little uh, snippet. We'll have the whole uh, the link funny, to man. the whole thing. Yeah, very Yeah, very I listened good. to the whole thing. It's great. <laughs> it was good. Um, yeah. Yeah. Boarding process. <laughs> a Just a bunch of people getting on an airplane. What do you think? <laughs> You think about it, uh, our entire industry is just peppered with mm -hmm. similar instances. Yep. All right, Sam. Uh, did you did you accept and um, oh, yeah. appreciate uh, Nick's explanation for near miss? If not, 
I'm offended at airlinepilotguide.com will be the address you'll want to use. Anyway, he says, adios, amigos, <laughs> Sam. Why don't we go to number 10, Angeles. Jeff, because uh, that is Sam Dawson that Nick is meeting on Sunday. Okay. So let's use number Yeah, let's do that. Very good idea uh, from the control room. She's directing me to uh, feedback number 10. Uh, mainly because, uh, as you mentioned in your Getting to Know Us segment, uh, Nick, that you're meeting up with Sam uh, Dawson, and uh, he sent us this feedback. APG crew, greetings, and another great episode. Some questions came up about airline crews. Yeah, we are questionable for sure. Uh, what we take with us when we go out to overnights and how crews stay active if we go to gyms. On overnights, I'm always sure to take my pilot certificate with me so I can impress the ladies. Why, yes, I really am a pilot. <laughs> he says, just kidding. When I go out, <laughs> I normally take my cell phone, a couple of credit cards in case one's not accepted, an ATM card, my credit card size passport. Well, I didn't know they had credit card size what's, passports. What's one of those? I don't know. Never seen one. Oh, the the yeah, the passport card. Yeah, it's uh yeah, it's I got one of those, but that's uh, it's only good for um for uh, travel by land from here to Mexico and Canada. Oh, okay. uh, and some sea travel, I believe, but not for air travel. Ah, okay. So, uh, so he takes a couple of credit cards, a cell phone, credit card size passport as an ID, some local cash, and my room key, but nothing saying what hotel or room number. Yeah, well, that's fine and dandy and, and, and until you get out there and then you forget what hotel you're staying in. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm not saying that I've done that, but uh, let's see. Uh, I enter my room number into my phone's calculator as a reminder. That's Oh, that's interesting. Okay, I do the same thing. I uh, do the same thing. Yeah, maybe I should start doing that. <laughs> I took a picture of the door. That's another good idea. That's another good idea. I, I can't tell you how many times I've done that and come back to the hotel. And I think I'm on the fifth floor. I'll just walk on the fifth floor and walk. I'll look at the room, the, the hotel room doors, because I'm sure that I'm, it's just going to look, it's just going to pop out and go, oh yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> like they look all the, all they're exactly the same. Anyway, um, let's see if I forget the hotel, it's on my phone with my pairing. Oh, okay. There you go. That's how he mitigates that, that, uh, uh threat. Um, my full size passport and wallet with my other IDs go into the hotel safe. Of course, I need to make sure I grab the correct currency. One time I purchased a round in London. And when I gave the bartender a 20 pound note, he asked, what are you trying to pull mate? This isn't 20 pounds. I was befuddled, took the note back, looked at it. It was a $20 Hong Kong note. Hmm. I guess that's a lot less. <laughs> I don't know, is it? Yes, it is. Okay. Uh, yeah, there's about a tenth of the value. Oh, oops. <laughs> <laughs> As for how to stay active, I do like going to the gym and running when I'm home, but on the road there's so much to see and do and so many beers to sample that I don't like wasting time in a hotel. On an international trip, I will normally take a short nap, then put on some hiking shoes. I've hiked Victoria Peak and Dragon's Back in Hong Kong. I've taken a ferry to the Princess Islands off Istanbul. Uh, rented a bike and rode to the top to see Aya Yorgi Church. Am I saying that right? Aya Yorgi? Uh, is, that, is that near the Boo Boo Church? No. <laughs> no, no. Like, yeah. <laughs> I get it. Yogi Bear. <laughs> uh, Boo Boo? Yeah. Oh, uh, did I mention one. they have a small <laughs> restaurant where you can get a beer and enjoy the wonderful view of Istanbul Harbor? No, but you just did. 
Uh, I've rented mm-hmm. bikes with my crew right. in Montreal and gotten some exercise while visiting the local breweries with them. Even domestically, I've enjoyed exploring cities and enjoying local beers and food. On the subject of Halloween, I happened to be in London a few days prior this year, and I also noticed a young noticed young trick-or-treaters going around to establishments collecting candy. I'm fortune, fortunate to live on a military base, and Halloween is still a traditional event. Adults make fire puts... Fire puts. Adults make fire pits out in front of their houses, enjoy adult beverages, and hand out candy to the kids running around the neighborhood. It's very important that you don't get those two mixed up. Um, the adults get to <laughs> yeah. sample some of the adult beverage treats as they make the rounds with their kids. The streets are closed to vehicle traffic, and MPs, which are military police, uh, are out, so it's very safe. How many kids? I normally go through about one hundred dollars of can- worth of candy. Good lord! But it's worth it to see the How about kids. The kids? Yeah, how about the kids? Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh. Well, <laughs> don't you leave any for them? Uh, I'm attached. Yeah, I'm well, attached. Remember, the MPs are out too. You know, getting candy, so you gotta. Oh yeah, yeah that's true. They like the expensive candy. Take a lot of pleasing. <laughs> Keeps you out of jail. Keeps you out of the brig, right? Is that what they call it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm attaching a photo of my son from Halloween 2002 that I normally trot out at least once a year to embarrass him. <laughs> this is from Newark Sam. Oh, Very Newark good. Sam. Okay. Uh, you know what? Actually, I think nice. this is really a picture of Sam. And it, it was only just a couple of months ago. <laughs> pilot pilot now, shortage. Nick, yeah, pilot shortage. You'll know what to, who to look for now. Um, when you, uh, when you meet up yes, I, I, I'll recognize him, no problem. <laughs> uh, very good. He needs to do his tie up a bit, don't you think? It's a bit scruffy. Yeah, a little casual. And Maybe. he's only got three stripes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's time. Yeah, just, just, just fly without a tie. It's, uh, it's, it's better. There you go. Yeah. It's, 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 it's ties a safety hazard. No, look very, yeah. it looks very sweet. Those are yeah. pretty classic American uh, piece of kit, those uh, pull along. Trolleys, aren't they? Mm-hmm. The radio flyers? Because we, we, we don't see them much in the UK or in Europe. But you see, they're pretty ubiquitous to America, aren't they? Jeff, they I sent are. you a text that has Sam's audio. I see that. Audio. Okay. Um, uh-huh. I don't know if you want to Well, let me see if now. I can do something with it. Okay. Um, uh, I, I don't know if, if I can. Let's see. Can you hear that? That blowing noise? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Hello. Yeah. It's Sam Bolog. Bolog. You got it right the first time. Wow. Hey, now that. There you go. Thank you, Sam. That's perfect. Thank you for well, uh, for texting it. And uh, we got to play it. No, no, it he like, sent it by speed, we speed don't... pipe. He sent it by speak pipe and I downloaded oh, it. Oh, speak pipe. Sent it to you. Oh, I see. He sent it via he sent it via speak pipe, which is one way you, dear listener, can send us audio feedback. By going to our website, contact us. There's a SpeakPipe link. Uh, thank you, Sam, for doing that. And then our producer, director, assistant uh, did all that work in the background while we were yakking. And she uh, uploaded it to uh, the uh, text messaging system that we have. It's a pretty complicated system. And um, we got to play it. I'm like, what are you laughing about, Liz? Nothing. <laughs> okay. What do you want me to do next, Liz? Um, um, let's go to, uh, well, seeing as we're talking about Halloween, let's go to the, uh, yeah. number 12, uh, Greg Peterson, trunk or treat. Okay. Your 12, our 13, yeah, okay. uh, feedback from Greg. And we just talked about Halloween. He says during the getting to know a segment of, uh, episode 543, 
two shows ago, you all were talking about trick-or-treating and parking lots and the like instead of going door-to-door and wondering when that trend started. As best I can recall, a lot of that started right after the 9-11 attacks back in 2001. I can remember our local malls having trick-or-treating inside the mall, and a lot of churches and schools began doing trunk-or-treat events as a way to control who was handing out candy to the kids. Greg, and that's our big-ass crane um, fan guy. Sort fan, of. Greg. He used to, let's, he used to let's, work for uh, big ass fans, <laughs> which is the real name. I'm not swearing. Well, I guess I am sort of. Um, do you do a trunk or treat at your church, Brent? No, no, we haven't. No, you don't. Do you, do they do it in your uh, auto shop? We have all those cars, like on cinder blocks in front of your house. See, I live up in the woods on top of a hill. Nobody's brave enough to come up there. Nobody. Yeah, that dude, man, don't yeah. go up there. He's got a shotgun and a still. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'll never tell. <laughs> I think don't drink, so. I think not. He doesn't drink at all, so I doubt it. <laughs> but you know, you don't have to drink to have a still and make some extra cash. I was going to say you don't you don't have a still to to drink for yourself. <laughs> let's do the one. Yeah, because you just sell it to other people. Let's do the one, the Hawaii one from Robert, just because uh, the Hawaii Nick just one. did that last one, number fourteen, I think fourteen. Fourteen. Uh, oh, no, it's 15, actually. 15, okay, whatever. Oh, okay, yeah, this is kind of timely. Um, yeah. So the um, last plane tale was the Sailing to Hawaii. Was that the name of it, Nick? Yeah, that's right. All right, well, Robert uh, sent us in uh, this feedback. Uh, he says, I f- let's see, a Cessna 172 just flew 18 hours nonstop from California to Hawaii. I feel like the analogy here is like driving your riding lawnmower on your next long-distance road trip. Okay. <laughs> and this is from avgeekery.com. Right, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Robert Tucker in Atlanta. Uh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I keep doing that. Robert, who used to live near the Big Chicken in Mayretta, now lives in Tucker, uh, where I was married back in 1982. Uh, a Cessna 172. I just read that. Uh, there are faster ways to get to Hawaii, to Hawaii, but it must have been an incredible adventure in a Cessna. And again, this is from avgeekery.com. Imagine, if you will, the following scenario. You're on an 18-hour flight. Your seat doesn't recline. There's no in-flight entertainment. There is no in-flight service. The cabin is not pressurized. You can't go to the bathroom because there isn't one. And you're the only passenger. Oh, and you're the pilot, too. For Tom Lopes, the scenario played out in a very real way on Saturday. Lopes completed the 2,521-mile journey when he ferried a brand-new Cessna 172 G1000 NXI Skyhawk, registration November 490 November Whiskey, um, from Merced Regional Airport in Merced, California. That used to be a big... Um, SAC, SAC Headwater, base. Headquarters, uh, yes. Headquarters uh, Cass- of SAC? No. Uh, yeah. Castle. Castle Air Force Base, yes. Atwater, yeah, right above Merced. Okay, very close to Merced, yeah. California. Okay. Uh, flew that thing from there to Daniel K. Uh, An- In a way. In a way. In a way. International Airport in Honolulu, HNL. At a filed altitude of 6,000 feet and an average speed of 139 miles per hour. The flight was completed in 18 hours and five minutes. Lopes departed MCE at 610, arrived Honolulu at 2115, both times local. The plane was delivered to a flight school in Honolulu. 
um, George's Aviation, a flight school located in Honolulu. In fact, less than 24 hours after the aircraft landed in Hawaii, it was already in the air providing flight training to students, according to George's Aviation CEO, George Hanzawa. Uh, it took just two hours to remove the modified fuel tanks and install, install the seats for use. Hanzawa says the Cessna departed uh, Merced with just over 200 gallons of fuel. Upon arrival in Honolulu, it had approximately 25 gallons left. Lopes communicated with a temporary high-frequency system installed on the aircraft. Additionally, FlightAware showed the Cessna flying at an altitude of 10,000 feet at times throughout the journey. In a Facebook post created by Hanzawa, I'd like to call him George, he said that uh, he was has arranged ferry flights from the mainland before. However, for some reason, this particular flight garnered an unusual amount of attention. And uh, let's see, from his Facebook um, uh, account, upon arrival in Honolulu, Lopes was given a traditional Hawaiian welcome with the adorning of a lei around the Cessna's propeller hub and another around Tom's neck. He says, yes, I've got to go to the the restroom. Uh, the first words spoken by Lopes as he exited the aircraft. Oh, that was it. Yes, I've got to go to the restroom. I would like to think he had an empty bottle or two just in case, you know, nature called. But maybe that's just me. Uh, I definitely would have had something to uh, pee in uh, if I were doing oh, yeah. it. Um, anyway, in any case, flying solo halfway across the Pacific Ocean in a Cessna 172 is a remarkable accomplishment. Hopefully Tom will was able to say aloha to a nice comfortable bed and get some well-deserved rest on Saturday night. And then there's a video also included in the story, which again, we'll have a link to in the show notes. Uh, that just, I just not, it's not a, it's not a bucket list uh, thing for me. Is it for you? No, no, not at all. Especially no. knowing that one hour and 45 minutes flights in the 717 are pretty much pushing it for us. They did pretty Ooh, well with the yeah, fuel planning. Yeah, did well with the fuel planning, Liz says. Okay, well, you know what? You know, I seem to remember from that tale that a three and a quarter degree um, accuracy or inaccuracy, and you'd have missed entirely. Hmm. Yeah, and then... Hopefully he had GPS, though, to help. Yeah, G1000 uh, is pretty, pretty good <laughs> system to have on a, on a, on a little airplane. Yeah. Right, you probably have yeah. experience with that, Rick. G one thousand. Oh, but no, G one thousand. No, no, no. The uh, I've never flown a G one thousand. I mean, when when I used to fly a um, light aircraft, it was you know just old school six pack oh, okay. stuff. And then I think that the techiest I ever got was a Garmin four thirty. But I'm talking, geez, over twenty years ago. Oh, okay. okay. So it's been a little while. I thought you had more recent experience. Yeah. Let's let's play one more, okay. and then I yeah. think. Uh, Brett needs dinner soon, so let's go to. Oh, the I need one. dinner too. Yeah, well, we don't care yeah. about you. Um, I know. Let's go to Clearly. the very last one. Let's go to Adam's audio. Um, okay. All right. Last one. We're going to play this from Adam. Uh, hang on. Pick the wrong one here. Adam there Spink. Yep. I got it. Um, there was just something added to the bottom there that I just went for since I. Oh, this I was... is going to send me to sleep. <laughs> Well, Carry on. <laughs> yeah. Do you you want to go ahead and say goodbye now, Nick, uh, or you want to hang no, on? Okay. No, I'll, I'll linger longer. Okay. Here we go. This is from Adam Spink. 
Hi everybody, Adam here, usually from the UK, but uh, this morning I'm talking to you from a hotel room in Luxembourg, where I'm situated for this week, uh, meeting up with my ATC colleagues from around Europe at a um, ground radar system uh, workshop. So it'll be good to catch up with all of my uh, colleagues who I've not seen for a few years due to, due to COVID and the travel restrictions, etc. We've done a few online meetings, but it will be good to see everybody face to face for the first time in a few years and catch up with what everybody's been doing. Anyway, just like to um, provide some feedback on Pilot Pip's own feedback about QNH, RMP, LPV, Baravinav, SBAS, EGNOS, WAS, etc., and all the other acronyms. Unfortunately, I have to say I agree with, with him. Um, there is a significant difference in LPV and uh, APV Baravinav, but um, from, from my side of the, the coin, it's um, it's an interesting question because most commercial airliners aren't equipped for SBAS, as as Captain Jeff said, and I'm sure Nick would agree if he can remember that far back to when he was still flying. Um, <laughs> certainly in the in the commercial airliner world, SBAS receivers Ouch. and yeah. uh, avionics are very much tied into to GBAS as well. In terms of one doesn't depend on the other, but uh, the multi-mode receivers that the aircraft can be fitted with for GBAS, come with SBAS and vice versa. It's uh, You get one and it can do both. Um, therefore, equipment levels, equipage is, is very low generally. Um, it's, it is increasing slowly. I think we're probably up to about 15 to 20% of the aircraft that we see um, in London are, are GBAS equipped. And I think you could probably safely assume if an aircraft is GBAS equipped, it will be SBAS equipped. Um, the issue that uh, airline airlines have is that they generally fly to airports that have a precision ILS capability. So there isn't really the business case there to invest in uh, retrofitting their aircraft. I know there's a there's a retrofit program available for the triple seven, and uh, and I think um, SBAS I believe comes as standard on the seven eight, but uh, it's an option on the A three fifty and A three thirty neos. Um, so equipment level across the commercial airline sector is is not very high. Um, the air, commercial airports um, won't generally just put an LPV approach in um, unless unless they know the aircraft are going to be equipped to fly it. But the airlines won't pay to equip the aircraft unless the airports put the approaches in so that they can fly them. So it is a bit of a catch-22 situation. The business jet general aviation community you know, it's it's slightly different in that they often um, will arrive into airports that a might not have ILS systems at all, or might have um, Cat One or maybe Cat Two only ILS, or possibly even uncategorized ILS systems due to either terrain or other considerations. So having a an LPV approach into those types of runways is key. And I know the um, the French ANSP. Um, who effectively runs uh, the, all the ATC at all the airports in, in France um, has declared an intention to effectively replace um, non-CAT3 ILS systems uh, or non-CAT2, CAT3 ILS systems, so CAT1 or uncategorized uh, at all the airports with um, GNSS approaches, so that would be LPV generally. Um, just purely because of the maintenance cost of those ILS systems, um, which they're, you know, they're not accepting large airliners in a lot of the time. That's not their target market, so they can they can do so. But uh, but any airport 
that has a Cat3 RLS system, let's say, generally at the moment, there's no commercial need or imperative to, to provide an LPV approach because the most 80% of the airliners that they see will not have GBAS or SBAS systems uh, to take um, advantage of, of those approaches. So, um, yeah, it's a bit of a catch-22. The airports won't invest unless the aircraft are equipped and the aircraft operators won't invest in equipping the aircraft unless the airports have the approaches to use. So uh, that's one of the problems we have to try and address. Anyway, um, hope everybody on the podcast there is, is well. I'll, I'll try and give Pip a poke, um, so to speak. Uh, that's what she mm-hmm. said um, oh. to, to put out a new episode um, in the next, uh, let's see, just looking at my watch here. Next, uh, maybe next two years. Hopefully that'll, that'll work out. Anyway, I <laughs> uh, hope everybody's well and uh, see you all soon. Bye. All right. Um, thank you, Adam, for taking the time. Um, so, and about giving Pip a poke, uh, well, that's that's your Enjoy. thing, maybe. Uh, yeah, it's kind of, <laughs> yeah, I don't sure. really need to know any more about that. We don't that. judge, man. Yeah, By don't the judge. way, I found that absolutely fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'd like to know something. You know, we, we this whole thing about the RNAV thing started when we talked about that accident where they were doing a non-precision RNAV approach, not an not an RP, uh, LPV precision with SBAS and all these different things. It was just a completely, you know, run-of-the-mill, um, you know, non-precision, and because they set the the, the wrong uh, the barometric altitude wrong, and 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 then we said, yeah, it's just like, yep. say, like an uh, an ILS localizer out of service, or a or a VOR approach, or an NDB approach, same darn thing could happen, right? And I don't. Somebody, I guess, somebody has the mm-hmm. idea that I was trying to say that uh, RNAV approaches in general are crap. Um, and that was not my intention. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that the, the, uh, LNAV, I mean the, um, yeah, the LNAV, VNAV and, uh, LNP, is that what, they, what was it called now? I can't R&P. remember the RMP. No, the, uh, the, the, the LVP, the LVP. Yeah. I, I'm sure it's fantastic. And, and you know what, if I had Localized that available, performance I, of vertical I, guidance. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure that I would love it too. In fact, I might even marry it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Put a ring on yeah, it, just Jeff. I just want to make sure people don't get the idea that I'm I wasn't trashing that. I just we were trying to kind of talk about that the the non precision approaches that uh, kind of rely upon you correctly setting the barometric altitude. I don't know. I think that's somehow we we just went wrong. And it, you know what? It's not you. It's me. Uh, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll try harder next time, honey. But but I see I see what he says where where you know a lot of the the applications really aren't there for for you know for commercial airliners and the top airports that commercial airliners uh, operate in and out of because it's just it's just not necessary. Yeah, they, they don't want to spend the money if they don't have ILSs. Exactly, and then you don't you don't want to have to have you don't want to have to put that equipment on the aircraft if wherever it is that you're going is doesn't have that equipment installed either. So you know I I don't know I just like for me uh, personally. Um, I, I, I'm very comfortable with, uh, you know, a, a cat three you know, ILS and when conditions are such that that is the only way to get on the ground. Then, um, as long as things are working fine and all the procedures are followed to the T and the, um, critical areas are protected and, uh, everything else, uh, it, it works like a charm. Um, uh, interestingly enough, uh, in my 20 something years of flying airliners, I've only, done maybe three autolands so it doesn't really happen 
very often. Uh, at least to me, it hasn't. Um, maybe Nick, you, you, you're you're based out of London, and it happens a lot. Tends to happen a lot more there. Um, oh, more than three, but less yeah. than twenty. So yeah. not a huge number. No. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, one first year, one, if that. Yeah, first one for me was down in Santiago, down in Chile. That uh, it, it gets it gets sucked in down there. So there, and then uh, I had uh, another one in. Well, where the hell was it? I forget where it was. And the last one was last year, going into Ontario, California. Uh, you get that uh, really thick fog in there, and um, so. But yeah, Cat Three ILS is probably like a, you know Autoland works like a charm. Yeah, I I still used to put my fingers in my ears and close my eyes though. Yeah, it's easier and, to go uh, through it that way. <laughs> yeah, less trauma. Yeah, and if there's a me. having your fingers in the in your ears helps if there's a big explosion. Yeah, exactly. So you don't get keeps, deafened. Yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> then you got you got to take care of those eardrums. But you're absolutely right. Yeah, you know, Autoland to uh, you know like a, a real no kidding Cat Three Autoland you know doesn't happen a heck of a lot in in one's career. I've done a few of them. It's very impressive, though. It I is. I have to say, it is. It very is very impressive. Uh, and I, com- I completely get what you're, what you're saying there with the, you know, having the right facilities and it's a lot less expensive and blah blah blah. But, but he also made the point that you know why do it if you're operating into these places that have already made the capital investment on this very very precise, um, you know, electronic. Uh, beam system, the the ILS system. Yeah, and the airline's not going to pay for equipment it's not going to regularly use. It's not interested in going through that expense. Well, I have yeah, boxes. pilots, and there's currency requirements, and all, you know, oh, yeah. there's there's a whole other you know right. set of issues that uh, that you have to keep in uh, keep in mind. I have boxes Definitely. is uh, telling us that LPV localizer performance vertical guidance and LVP low visibility procedures. Pick one carefully. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, there are just too many letters. Too many. And, yeah. Uh, too many acronyms. I, I, get, I get easily confused. Yeah. All right. Hang on a minute. There's only 26 letters. It's not very many. Well, but then you yeah, have all the different George combinations. I would feel about this one. <laughs> you probably have something to say about that. Uh, but one all I can thing. say about RNAB, Brent knows how, how I feel about. <laughs> On our airplane, you shared. And we'll say no more. Yeah, yeah. We share the same feeling about it because we don't. We only do yes. the like the 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 less accurate, you know, just uh, LNAV only uh, type non very non precision uh, approaches in that thing. And in fact, it's so bad. Well, it's it's not good enough to perform. RNAV PRM approaches in Atlanta. Um, we specifically get bulletins all the time. Uh, guys, you cannot do that approach in Atlanta. <laughs> Actually, you can't do that approach at all because it requires precision. <laughs> uh, and we just don't You're have not. it. Uh, yeah. Is that an indictment on your flying skills? Uh, no, it's, it's an indictment equipment. on the uh, autoflight system <laughs> of our aircraft. Or the uh, navigation. Oh, you system. don't use autopilot sign there, Jeff. Uh, yeah, we do every <laughs> once in a while. Um, all right, uh, Liz, one, what, are you, what are you saying to me? One, one, one quick oh, last one. Oh, one last thing. Uh, okay, we're going to fourteen. Yeah. And this is from Tim Qualls. Well, she's cracking the whip tonight. No, no, it's nearly we're bloody going. midnight, you know, Liz. Yeah, <laughs> this is it, <laughs> Nick. <laughs> you're almost off the hook. Uh, I'm sorry. What is this uh, from? Somebody not Tim. Tim Qualls? Q. Tim, Tim Q. Q. Just a funny. Oh, Tim Q. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but is that not Tim Qualls? 
Yeah, it is. Tim Qualls. Yeah, Tim Qualls. Oh, okay. Oh, I thought you were correcting me. No. Okay. Uh, he says, just a funny. No big news. Not really even feedback. But I saw this on my Carrot Weather app today. Wanted to share with the crew. Now we know what those contrails really are. And his little image graphic says, jet fart clouds are sometimes called contrails by elitist scientists. <laughs> so that's what those things are out there. Jet farts. Yes, yes, right. Jet farts. Trails by complete idiots. Okay, hanging up on yep. Skype. Okay. <laughs> See you, Liz. All right, she's going to join us in uh, the big picture. And we're going to uh, talk about uh, wrapping up the show. We're going to wrap up the show right now. We're going to talk about going over to uh, the website, airlinepilotguy.com, where we have all kinds of good stuff about the crew and the community and the community calendar, the uh, APG library, more info about the Plain Tales um, merchandise, and gosh darn it, so much more. Please go over there to airlinepilotguy.com, check it out. And we are also on social media. And I'm going to let Captain Nick and Miami Rick um, tag team it. Okay. Uh, Facebook. <laughs> Come on, Nick. Uh, or face plant. Airline Pilot Guy is where you want to go. And you'll enjoy seeing us all there. Actually, wait. You'll just be seeing me and Liz. It's really boring. <laughs> okay. And for the other uh, the other fine platform now, Twitter at APG Crew, everything APG related is on that uh, on that address there, that handle, and Instagram that is APG Crew as well. That thing, you know, the thing, that thing, uh, yeah, the thing on the thing. <laughs> I thought it was Meta nowadays, anyway, not Twitter. I think it or is, is meta, something isn't it? else. Yeah. No, I think Meta owns Instagram. Meta Facebook. owns Facebook, and no, it no, that's something different. <laughs> meta. Help somebody. Help us out. No, Instagram, yeah. I think, is owned by Facebook. Which is owned right. by Meta. I thought Elon had bought Twitter as well. No, Twitter. Yeah, he bought Twitter. Twitter separate from Instagram and, and Meta and and uh, all that other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Can we do this over? Grasp at this. <laughs> Staff. This technological environment help. there, Jeff. <laughs> Maybe... Liz, why don't you pop in and tell us? Oh, you, you straighten us out. Do you know? Okay, I believe Meta uh, is, owns Facebook and Instagram, uh, but they're totally separate from Twitter. Ah, okay. Yes. So what's Twitter called now that Elon's bought it? Well, it's still Twitter, but it's anyway. Okay. Who knows? Let's not get All into right. that. Okay, where's where's what? that? Where is Hillel? Hillel? I don't He's know. In Bermuda, Let's see where he is. Let me turn on the microphone and. He's had to rush back from wherever he was. Hello? Hello? Can you tell us about Slack? Okay, but I'm dripping wet. That's okay. Come on over, Brent. You're going to have to move out of the way. Brent Hillel's going to have to come on in here. I'll oh, be careful. Uh, he's he's got he's got wet everything. He's got I don't know. Uh, all right. I'm just kidding, Brett. You really don't have to go. <laughs> it's an imaginary Hillel. Okay. Uh, tell us about Slack, Hillel. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, 
Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at AirlinePilotGuy.com or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1 and see you in Slack. All right. Thanks, Hillel. Appreciate it. Sorry, Jeff. I might have used all your skin lotion. That's okay. We can get more. All right. As always, we appreciate all the hard work Hillel does with the Slack team. And we also appreciate all the hard work. Well, not hard work, but just these fine folks uh, showing up each and every week in our live chat, our live audience. Thank you so much for uh, helping us out and uh, helping entertain us. And, of course, Liz thought I was going to talk about her, but I'm going to do that right now. Without her help, man, this show would be so much better. (laughs) Thank you, Liz. That's true. I mean, hey, I mean, it wouldn't be what it is. <laughs> you speak the truth, Jeff. You know, I joke, I kid. She's awesome. She does so much of the work in the background. So thank you so much My for that. My pleasure. I love you. I love all of you out there. And uh, wishing you all clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless. See you next time. Be good to everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye, all. Bye-bye. Yeah, he's up in the sky. Good day. I used to be such a good, good pilot. Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America oh, Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall I got no friends cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, I 